0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on top of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience many people just don't know where to start they get confused and so they give up well that's why this podcast exists to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself so grab your Bible take a deep breath and join us as we explore this week's passages To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3Church Camden, Picton and Thoreal, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreal.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation.
1: Rowan. Thank hey you so much for having me again on the podcast, uh, Good The to have you back. Bible Wait What?
0: The Bible Wait What?
1: Now there's lots of those questions in today's. <laughs> um, <with laughs> there is,
0: isn't there? We were talking off off microphone about how confusing some of these passages are and complicated uh, and challenging. Very,
1: very. Yeah. I hope that um, our listeners have either read the the chapters already before listening to this, or are reading along at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's least. probably a good
0: idea with these chapters, especially today, especially the Old Testament ones. To yeah. even pause the recording if you can and listen to them, or or listen read them when you can if you're driving, and then come back and listen to it again.
1: Yeah, I think the beauty of this podcast is um, because they're in long form, you can choose. I personally choose to listen to it in twenty snippets. Or yeah, twenty minute snippets yeah. because I don't have a lot of time on my hands. So. No, I just thought I'd mention that because encouraging people to not feel daunted by them, yeah. but just skip to the chapters that you need you ne- need right. help with if that helps or, you know, listen to it in 20-minute segments and read along with us. Yeah, sure. Um, That's the way to do it. Yeah, It's there's something really And most of our chapters in are
0: in that somewhere between 10 and 25-minute kind of length conversation, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and, and we were just saying before we started recording that sometimes uh, in some weeks we have... It very uh, sequential, I think, is the right yeah. word. Old Testament, we go, New Testament, oh, day by day. Yeah, day yeah. by day. Whereas this particular one, we, we haven't structured our conversation that way um, because of the way that our chapters are
0: Yeah, it kind of breaks the train of thought. Themed. It's better to try and yeah. stick within the chapters and and follow the sequential thought. Otherwise, it's a bit jolty for us. Yeah. A bit jolty yeah. for you as listeners, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, we'll have it in the... Um, the podcast chapter
0: yes in the chapter show notes it it's, definitely links yeah. the chapters and where they are yeah
1: yep. so you you won't be confused if you're reading you yep. know listening to the first section of today's podcast and then reading matthew 28 and going hold on where's where's the conversation yep. it'll for that. be later in the podcast you'll see, you'll see yep. you'll see what's happening um so buckle up and follow along and Let's I us go yeah, I hope we can answer some of your burning questions today, because uh, I certainly have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, let's before we really get stuck into this, Haggai 1, Haggai 2, Daniel 7, 8 and 9, what do these Old Testament passages, passages actually have to do with Ascension Sunday, which is the
0: overarching <laughs> which is theme overarching of our week theme coming into this w- for this week? Sorry. Yeah. Mm. Uh, not a great deal, not, not specifically um, in the context of you can link them in, I, in a really nice, niche-fitted way. That's not the intention. Um, I've said this a few times with podcasts with, throughout this podcast series. It's important to remember that we are trying to get a good mix of theme stuff, but also uh, large text blocks of text. Because my desire is, I want our listeners to actually, and our know, people in our church, to be actually reading the Bible and and, and devouring for themselves and learning for themselves and it's best to do that through large chapter blocks or large theme blocks rather than just a little bit here and a little snippet here and a little snippet there. Very easy to take it out of context if we do that. So there's not a huge overlap. It's not like you could go, okay, this is specifically here to here. However, I would say that for these particular passages, they're they're both prophecies. Uh, Haggai's a prophet. And Daniel is a prophet, both uh, writing and prophesying within a similar time frame to each other. Uh, Daniel first, Haggai later, slightly later. Um, but in the Dan- Daniel's prophesying in the time of the exile, so we're talking 500s BC thereabouts. Um, Haggai is probably coming some years later, maybe in the mid 400s BC, something like that. I'm just guessing off the top of my head. Um, so similar kind of era. Uh, and in both cases, dealing with the institution of God's kingdom. So in Daniel's prophecies, they're writing in the time of the exile when it seems like gods ki- they, they're in exile, they're in a foreign land, it seems like their kingdom is dashed. God's The, the plans that God would uh, institute his people on the earth as a kingdom seems like it's gone. They're in, they're in a foreign land. Um, and Daniel's writing to them with encouragement. And we're going to see that when we get in there. There's lots of prophetic declaration about the future coming of God's kingdom that God's plans aren't dashed God still has a plan to bring about his kingdom on the earth and uh, ultimately that fulfillment is that could be linked in with the ascension yeah. in that Jesus ascension into heaven is the inauguration if you like of okay. his kingdom upon the earth. Okay. And Haggai a little less so but Haggai's writing about the Jews, after the exile, they've come back and they need to build the temple. Mm. They need to reinstate God's kingdom on the earth, or what they, uh, they saw as God's kingdom, and they were mm. slow in doing that. So yeah. um, it's, to do with God, it's obviously all to do with God's kingdom stuff.
1: Right. So when we read Haggai one, um, you've just answered my next question. Really, that where where are these people at? This is what's happening. They need to rebuild this temple, mm-hmm. and that's a physical building. Yeah. Right. Yep. This is the physical building where they come to sacrifice um, their 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 lambs yep. and and be cleansed of their sin and worship God yep. Yahweh. Yep. Um, so why for my first question if we just start reading it really mm-hmm. why do they call him the lord of heaven's armies in haggai um specifically my i asked this question because i wondered if it had to do with the time because later in daniel we read he's called the ancient of days so i guess that's the same question for both of those why different names yeah why different names and what has that got to do with Any of this really has it? Is it specific when we're reading it?
0: Um, Let me just—I'm going to go put my glasses on, look at my phone, and I'm going to look at um, this scripture, Haggai 1. I'm going to look at it in the King James version because on my phone I have an app that gives me all this King John's King the Strong's Concordance words. So let's have a look. That's great. I I suspect that uh, what is it? The Lord of Heaven's armies is verse two. So verse 2 says, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Mm. So the Lord there is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. It's the tetragrammaton, Mm -hmm. the name of God, Mm Y-H-W-H. And hosts uh, means exactly a mass of persons. Okay. So the Lord of hosts is probably, it's yahweh Sabah. So it's just a term for God, meaning he is the Lord. And it talks about the hosts of heaven. So the picture is that... That when it says Yahweh, the, the Lord of heaven's armies is a really good English translation of what it means. It means God's hosts of heaven, mm. his angels, and he's the Lord, he's Yahweh over those. So that is... So uh, the angels? The angels, yeah. So this is a picture of God as in control of the, the armies of heaven. So that's a, yeah. that's a good analogy to it. Daniel, ancient of days, would carry with it a different meaning. It's talking not about, it's just another aspect of his nature. Just like mm. we have different names for different things. So yeah, right. ancient of days, we can look at it when we get there, but I suspect it, it's a different... Meaning it's to do with his eternalness,
1: yeah, right, being, okay.
0: being before and over all things that would be my understanding, yeah. Of Ancient of Days,
1: I guess. When I read that, I thought that's you know an interesting thing to call him, and he and he repeats that yeah. quite a lot throughout this chapter. Well, if
0: you're in exile, mm. and well, you, these guys are back from exile, but they've mm. come, they've just come back, and the, the foreign uh, armies around them, the nations around them, are still oppressing them, yeah, they yeah. need to know that God is on his throne and that God is the Lord of heaven's army. So I think it's a term that is chosen for a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, because uh, I suppose the time that they're in, this is the language that they need to hear. Yes, that's
0: right, which is what you're going to see all the way through the prophetic books, Mm. definitely. You've got Mm. to put it into context. What was God trying to say to the people? First and foremost, before we worry about what he's saying to us in the 21st century, what was he trying to say in the 5th century BC? Mm.
1: And I think, actually, my question, for my next question is actually later on but i'll ask that now then how do we approach these chapters in our bible plan this this week how do you think that we should approach them should we approach them reading a story or should we approach them trying to look at it as you know something that can relate to us now
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) all of the above all of the above all of the above all of the above and and christians will do a few different things you'll get some Christians that will focus on only how it relates to us now yeah. at the expense of looking at it as what it was saying in its first context. Mm. And I've said this plenty of times. i said this with your husband on a few podcasts. The Bible was written for us, not to us. Yeah. And so we need to put it in its context. But that does not mean that it isn't live and active and can have something to say to us now. So yeah. all of the above.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so moving on. This particular chapter, and, and Haggai 2, is pretty specific about some dates. and Yes, it is. That stood out to me, August 29, 520 BC. Yeah. Not all prophecies or writings in the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, have such a specific date. No, true. They have some sort of time, like the six month of this person's reign or, yes. or something like that. but. This is pretty specific and then later on we'll talk a little bit more about the other dates Mm -hmm. that are quite specific, sorry. Why why is this significant when we're reading this?
0: I, I think with... Haggai obviously for some reason the English translators have decided to translate in the NLT version which you've just read from I think or some other versions have Mm -hmm. decided to translate it into the Julian calendar day August 29 Mm -hmm. I open up my little note on on, on NLT in my new version Bible and it says on the first day of the sixth month of the ancient Hebrew lunar lunar calendar so um, you know they've tried to make an effort to reconcile it with the Hebrew calendar Mm -hmm. so it's the first day of the sixth month okay Okay, so the question I guess is, why are these dates specific here? I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, it's important for them to anchor this prophecy, this particular prophecy, in time, okay. because there's an urgency about this. It, mm. it begins with a sense of this is this is um, a prophecy coming to a people who we can now date. It's almost like it says in the in the uh, let's say on August twenty nine in the second year of the reign of King Darius. Mm-hmm. Well, King Cyrus had previously been the king, and he is the one who had told the Israelites and empowered the Israelites to go back to the Jews and said, go back and rebuild your temple. Mm. It hasn't happened yet. No. <laughs> so it's, like, it's almost like he's saying, hey, guys, times are ticking. Yeah, you need right. to do something about this. This has been, and I think oh, it's a while since I've done my study on this, I suspect it's probably been 10 or 15 years that they've been back in the promised land and haven't done anything. Mm. Well, it talks
1: and a little bit about that too. It does, yeah. yeah. And so
0: I think part of it, in this sense, is there's a sense of urgency. And there's mm. actually four prophecies over the space of about three months, I think it is, mm. or maybe six months, mm. um, in the book of Haggai. Um, they're all two of them are on the same day, two, yes. three, and four are on the same day. But there's a sense in which there's like one prophecy, and then six weeks later there's another one, and then three months later mm. there's another one. So there's an urgency about this this particular prophetic writing, yeah. which I think needs it needs to be put across. And I think that's what they're trying to do. It's also very helpful for scholars. It, it is. Because <laughs> when you can actually anchor something like this, yeah. it's very helpful f- for historians to be able to go, oh, we can anchor this particular event historically. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if only, Amanda, all ancient texts were this accurate. <laughs> it, would, it would make the historian's job a whole lot easier than trying to speculate, as yeah. so often they have to try to fit pieces together with archaeological evidence and literary evidence. Yeah. But this helps because yeah. we know the king, we know the time. Luke does this really well. He says in the, in the year of, uh, you know, um, that, that the emperor caused um, called a, uh, called a census, and mm. so we were able to date things from that because we have historical writings. Yeah. So it's helpful when it does happen, but it it wasn't always a big issue in ancient times. So they didn't worry too much about dating things historically.
1: Yeah. Well, Luke was an educated man. wasn't He was he? an educated well, he was, yeah, he, he was a doctor. a doctor. Yeah, that's right. right. So yeah, it yeah. makes yeah. sense that he would think that 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 would was an important thing. Well, he wanted
0: to, to write, write, write. He wrote wanted to write an orderly account. He says yeah. to um, in his in I think in the book of Acts, he says that he wants to write an orderly account. That's a little bit different to how most people in this age wrote mm. and i know it's frustrating for us but they weren't thinking about us two and a half thousand years yeah. later oh there's going to be some scientists in the future and historians that really would be helpful to them if they if they had some accuracy yeah. <laughs> so historians and archaeologists love it when they get this stuff it's bread yeah. and butter makes their job a whole lot easier well,
1: not a lot of people these days are really thinking about two thousand years in our future so it kind of makes so sense so why right? would they exactly why would they you know precisely yeah do we really think that you know, yeah, exactly. Things are still going to be the same, or yep. or slightly different. Yep. I mean, we might years. think we
0: might we might you know school might put a a time capsule in the ground for fifteen years, and that's a big deal. But to, to yeah. be thinking about oh, somewhere in the future, someone's going to have to you know yeah. dig up our archaeological evidence. We're not thinking like that, so right. I don't blame them for we're it. We're
1: past the year of yeah. Back to the Future's flying Exza- cars. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think and um, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, the day that we have flying cars. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, so, well, this this is good. This is good conversation because I guess my next thing was a little later on, the next prophecy is on September 21. Sure. Or the next time he speaks to them is on September 21. And uh, it feels like they've done nothing between in those three weeks it's like dude you still haven't done anything yeah. it's like you're giving me a task at work yeah. and me not doing yeah. it for three weeks and going
0: yeah guys come on come on come <laughs> on three weeks has gone you by. know
1: this is this is important one
0: of my favorite comments about this goes that shout out to Tony Dodds from our Camden location because one time I was preaching on this passage in Haggai and I said what were they doing in those three weeks and he said they were trying to get a DA <laughs> <laughs> And I w- said, <laughs> I said, no, it takes a lot longer Wollongong than three City weeks <laughs> to get a DA. <laughs> Wollongong City Council just certainly takes, oh, should I be saying that yeah. on a public podcast? <laughs> um,
1: anyway, uh, yeah, so, so what are they? My question is, what were they doing for yeah. three
0: weeks? Well, that's a good question. Um,
1: Do we know? <laughs> well, not, nothing, not, right? not
0: specifically. Um, you know, they, it says there was a spark of enthusiasm. So there was obviously something stirring in this crew. Okay, this is the time. Hey guys, saying, it's time to rebuild. And they go, yes, let's do this. The Lord spark, Verse 14, the Lord sparked the enthusiasm um, of Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the high priest, and all the people, it says. And they began to work on the house of the Lord on September 21. Mm. I, I actually think that's probably not too bad. Mm. I mean, you, you, they're going to have to go and get timber. They're going to have to make some plans. They're going to have to do some stuff. They're yeah, going to have to strategize. Okay. If it takes, hey, I, in church life, anything that happens in three weeks, is pretty extraordinary. I mean, <laughs> I, I have learned in church life to take the time that I expect. So I'd like something to be done and multiply it by a factor of about five and then get comfortable with that. So I don't think three weeks is too bad. Like
1: the recordings of these podcasts. Like the recordings <laughs> of these podcasts, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time coming, but really exciting yeah. um, that we're doing it finally. Yeah, great. So, um, September 21. It's not too bad. That's, <laughs> it's that's not three weeks. Bad, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, I guess, but the way it's worded, I guess it makes you think that they've done nothing in those three weeks. Yeah, I, I, However, I think that
0: doesn't make sense because they were they were sparked with enthusiasm. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I don't exactly know. It's not telling us what they did in those three weeks. But I you know, imagine some plans and some strategic planning, how are we going to do this, where are we going to get our timber, what's it look mm. like, all of those things. Yeah. Um, if it's been la- lying dormant for 10 years, 15 years, it's going to take some time to get... Get the ball yeah, rolling. Yeah. Get get committees happening.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm picturing this in my head, and I I seem to f- think that it's just this pile of rubble, and they'd probably have to clear a lot. Well, it largely is. It's too, a, it's right? yes,
0: it's just an empty platform mm-hmm. that is overgrown with thistles and thorns, and exactly. I mean if it's if been lying uh, dormant yeah, for a long time. Yeah.
1: So it, it probably looks pretty sad, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, yep. and these things would cost money and i think that's the they p- didn't
0: really have a problem with money because i think well cyrus uh, that's a good point cyrus had said that he would bankroll the whole thing 15 years before mm. out of the temple treasure, out of the kingdom's treasury right. but um but i don't know they that hadn't done it doesn't
1: so seem to follow through and it's a well new it's a new king, king. that's correct so, so they probably they might have missed totally that opportunity
0: the bank might be closed <laughs> now <laughs> if only we had done it back then we had all the money we needed i don't i exactly, don't know exactly right the story look there might be some evidence within scripture to Tell us a bit more about that, or outside of scripture, sometimes historians can find other writings and texts, but I'm not aware, I don't think I've heard of anything that tells me. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think, all in all, I don't think three weeks is, is too bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he also is pretty specific. Like, you look for much harvest, but it comes to little. Yes. And even when you bring that home, I blow it away. Yeah. This blowing away their harvest and causing droughts and all that sort of stuff we read that God is doing this, like why, we understand that he's, I guess he's punishing them for not investing in this, but why does God do that? And why does God, does God, sorry, still do things like that?
0: Well, that's a a pretty good, it's a very good question. That's a very deep question that probably we, we, (laughs) I could give some ideas to it, but i I'm very careful with these ones not to presume that my answer is a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. I think these answers about this sort of question are, are quite complex and there are good people who argue all different sides and, and I, I can see strengths and weaknesses on all arguments. So whether or not God's pronouncing punishment or whether or not it's that our willful disobedience or unwillingness to do it God's way means that we kind of step out from underneath his best, mm-hmm. that's probably where I lean. Mm-hmm. So. If I choose not to do it God's way, the end result of that is God's judgment. Mm. But it's not that God wants to judge. It's that I have chosen my way over his and have stepped out from underneath his protective blessing and provision. Okay. And that's, to me, that smacks of Garden of Eden language. If you, if you stay in the garden, if you choose my way mm. and you, you know, do what I tell you to do and you don't eat from that tree... You're going to be here forever. But the moment you do this, you're going to die. There's going to be something about your choice which will move you out from underneath my blessing.
2: Yeah, okay.
0: And that that could be interpreted as God blowing away all your food and all that sort Mm. of stuff. And is it God doing it or is it the result of God not doing the opposite? Yeah, okay. God not doing the provision. Yeah. I lean that way, but I... I don't want to make out that there isn't an aspect of judgment in that. It's just that the whole concept of God being a heavy-handed judge doesn't really fit with the God that I see revealed in the Scripture. He's desiring yeah. that all people would... And he's coming, he's going, guys, I want the best for you. You're living you're living your way and it's yeah. not working. Yeah. If you would live for me, I'm going to show you, I want the best kind of life for you. And that life is found in honoring me, building my temple, putting me first.
1: Yeah. So when, when I read that the whole blowing away the harvest and all that sort of thing i kind of thought i wonder if this is more to do with hey i'm actually i rule over all things mm-hmm. and it's not actually causing the harvest to blow away or causing these droughts to punish them but more so saying look i'm i'm in control of all of this
0: anyway yep.
1: you should give it to me first i think that's that closer to the c- that's yeah. probably
0: more aligned if wh- what i'm hearing you say sounds more aligned with what i'm thinking okay yeah right. Yep. So we've
1: done a we've done study on this kind of thing before when we, in our church uh, when we did uh, Vision Builders.
0: Yes, I, this is one of my primary texts when I teach Vision Builders because this fits the concept of building God's house, yes.
1: Yeah, so when we read this, should we only consider our church building itself and where we house our community and our Sunday services and what we do? Should we only consider that? Or should we more so, or as well as consider our worship and what we are offering to the Lord?
0: I think as well as. I think this passage has direct similarities to the concept of building. Um, And I know that there'll be people out there who go, well, it's not about building buildings at all. It's about, because we're in the New Testament and we are the church. Mm. I totally get that. I totally get that the church is not the building. Mm. Um, So, People might go, oh, you're a bit of a stretch here to try and turn this into a building campaign. Um, mm. I would say I get that the church is a building, but I do think that throughout ch- Christian history, churches have built buildings. And there is a sense in which they've had a, they've had a belief, whether it's a cathedral or whatever, that buildings and, and places do house God's people and therefore they are sanctified places. Mm. Um, so I think it's perfectly acceptable to, to apply these principles where they're building God's house to building a building, but I would not limit it to that. Yeah. If you're limited to that, I think we're missing something. You, you said it's about worship or yeah. about our life, about the way we conduct ourselves. And yes, that is true too, because we are the church. Paul says in Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, us corporately together. I was just
1: about to say yeah. that. So we are the temple. We also, we have Jesus living inside yes. us now. We're yes. in New Testament living. Yep. So if we apply this as a New Testament Believer, yep. We would consider. We don't have a temple. We have our church
0: building, but we also have. We also have ourselves, ourselves and our church. So our church, there's yeah. two references Paul gives to the temple. One is corporate, one is singular. Mm-hmm. He says, "You y'all, you all together," the y'all. Americans would say, "Y'all," are the temple of <laughs> yeah. the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. And then in elsewhere, he says about uniting himself with a prostitute or something. He's talking about an individual temple. So mm-hmm. we are the temple. And so anything that we're hearing here, if he's talking about rebuilding the temple. I think what i'm hearing you say is should we be reading that through the lens of we have a responsibility to rebuild our own temples and mm-hmm. our church's temple and make it healthy and strong and vibrant and yeah and honoring of god and absolutely true yeah all of I mean, all of the above I,
1: i've touched on this before that worship isn't just our time that we sing a couple of yep, songs on that's a sunday right. we should be worshiping god with every breath that we have yes, in right. every in every part of our lives yep. so not just our tithes and offerings to the church or to the charity down the road yep. or you know to our sponsored children but also worshiping god with everything, everything that, we, yeah, have. Yeah, everything all we have all of yeah, the above all of the above. i think that's
0: important and i avoid cherry-picking scriptures and fitting them into a soul context. I think yeah, see yeah. that see that these, the, the Bible is, is for us in so many different ways. Yes. yeah, yeah. We, good we point, say that Amanda. a
1: lot in this podcast, right? It's oh, look, it's
0: one of the most, rev- I, I heard John Walton say it, and it's been one of the most revolutionary things to me because it's helped me to realize that I can get something out of every page of the Bible, even though it's not written to me. Mm. And, and if I dig into it, and even though it seems confusing, I can dig in and learn from it and go, there's something in here for me. God mm. wants to speak to me through this.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of the Bible, isn't it? Yes. He only only someone like a human being couldn't have written N- this. No, spirit and inspired. Yes, spirit. Uh, the whole thing is spirit yep. inspired. Yep, um, for sure. And the way that it works and is living and breathing and can mean one thing to you one day and then in. You know, a hundred years, it will mean something completely different to your ancestors.
0: Well, even to my own life, I look back and things spoke to me out of the scriptures and Mm. now they say something different. That's Mm. the living and active word of God.
1: And that's the beauty. I think um, I might have said this last week as well, that, you know, having it written on our hearts um, is is the beauty of, of reading these Bible plans because we are... Reading them again with and again. Getting it in. Well, yeah, I, uh, it even,
0: in. even I've noticed over this course, there's a couple of weeks where Galatians 5 is in there twice, in a, way, in a row, I think. Two yeah. weeks in a row. And that was obviously probably because it was an important chapter. But mm. I normally wouldn't do that. But obviously, it's, there's something in that. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That yeah. yeah. it was last week. But yeah. we need to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Mm.
1: Okay, Haggai 2. Haggai 2. I Guess if we talk about when it's written or when it's uh, the prophecy is given, yep. uh, it's pretty soon after, it's about four weeks
0: later, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yep. so we had one prophecy, we waited three weeks, and we're having another prophecy. Yeah, yep. so in this
1: particular case, we are reading, you know, straight away, and that's that's the reason why we've gone Haggai 1, Haggai yeah. 2 rather yep. than over to Matthew. Yep, um, in this particular week's podcast. So, uh, first of all, verse 1 to 4. Um, reminds me a lot of Joshua because he actually says, be strong and courageous. Ah, yes, he does. um, So for listeners who don't know the story of Joshua, um, Joshua the... in a few chapters is, back, Moses's.
0: A few chapters, a few books yeah, back. Right few back, books back <laughs> yeah, a uh, few books back. We've got to go back about um, a thousand years. A, before, thousand, a thousand years, probably. Nine hundred years. years before this, probably.
1: So a thousand, you know, nine hundred years, so you know, years before. Do these people know oh, yeah. of the story of Joshua? Yeah, they oh, do, right? This is, they, a, this is
0: an essential part of their history.
1: So the fact that he's using this language is significant. Yeah, right? yeah. It's definitely. not the same Joshua. He's not in the same lineage. It's uh, Joshua, it's the son of
0: Jehoshadak. Um, the so high Glad you've read that. <laughs> yeah. Yeshua the, the son of Yeshua or Yeshua the son of Jehosadak the high priest. Yeah.
1: yeah. So he's not related to this guy in any way it's just coincidence?
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeshua is a very common name and yep. it, all variations. So Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua. Mm. They're all um, they're all I mean basically means Yah saves, God saves. So that's the terminology. It was very common even in Jesus' day it was a very common name.
1: Yeah. Um, so is that significant then that Joshua the story um, you know, a thousand years ago. This story now well, this not a story, this prophecy now and Jesus and the fact that we're talking about Jesus. Yes, yeah. Jesus, in two parts. Sort of there's a
0: definitely a link there. Two link. parts. Let's let's park the Jesus Christ, Messiah, prophecy <laughs> for a minute. Let's let's link Yeshua the Jehoshaphat, the high priest mm-hmm. in with the original Joshua. Okay. Okay, so first of all, there's a namesake there. We don't know other than the fact that it was a common name. They're mm-hmm. from different tribes. So there's no evidence that they would be, um, you know, lin, lin, what's the word I'm after? Through the lineage. Through the lineage. <laughs> Through yeah. the lineage. We'll go with that. Yeah. There'd be no actual family resemblance, mm. but the namesake is there. And I think that's what Haggai and the Lord's prophecy is picking up on. Yep. And because they are feeling timid. If you read what's just happened, they've started to build the temple. They've been building it for about three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Verse three says, does anyone remember the old house and how big it was? This one must seem pretty... You know, pretty mm. insignificant. Mm. You must be thinking, is this even worth it? You know, are we ever going to get this thing off the ground? There's no way this is going to be what, as, like the good old days. Yeah, you know, right. remember the good old days when the temple was much, much bigger. Now look at it. It's a heap of rubble. And, it, and, and mm. it, as is the case in all church life, it's flipping hard work. You know, that's yeah, basically, right. it's getting colder. We're into October. It's starting to get cold in Jerusalem. It's getting cooler weather and they're probably getting a bit discouraged. And they needed a, a pick-me-up. Mm. So Haggai comes with a prophecy and says to him, don't give up. Remember your namesake, Joshua? Mm. He had to take the promised land. He came in and there was nothing. There was no temple. There was just a whole lot of enemies that were out to get him. Mm. And, he, and God said to him repeatedly, hey, Josh, be strong, courageous, be strong, courageous, be strong, courageous. And so this is like an inspiration. Mm. He knows, Yeshua knows this prophecy. They, they know all about Josh. And so this would have been incredibly encouraging to him. <gasps> oh, yeah. We're like a new, I, I'm a new Joshua. This yeah, is a new day cool. and I can exotic. be inspired by that. I can take this promised land. That's, yeah. uh, that's, an, in, that's um, an inspired word from the Lord. It's in Haggai and he's wanting to bring that encouragement. Yeah, cool. And the proph- prophecy is, is for encouragement, exaltation and comfort. The New Testament tells us, well, that would have been incredibly encouraging to these guys. To mm, so okay. go, you guys are like building the promised land all over again. Don't give up. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, it's hard, but trust that I'm with you.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's good. Yeah.
0: So like, did you want to know about the future, future Jesus? Yeah, yeah, well, sure. Actually, um, well, yeah. That, Do we talk that, about this later? It or? comes If you're going to follow in the rest of the prophecy, we'll come back to it. Okay, the bottom go, let's come back to chapter. it yeah. because
1: I have written yep. verse 5 to 9. Let's read it. Yeah, sure. I wrote that down because I think it's important to for everyone to read along or, or listen along um, as we talk about the context of this. Yep. So verse 5. Uh, I'm reading it in the Amplified for a reason too because... The reason why I've read a lot of this in the Amplified, I'll just quickly touch on this, is because I felt like it it, it explained it. It made more sense sure. as I went along yep. because the Amplified gives is so good like that. To it describe gives you more he- original Hebrew lots word. Lots of yeah. stuff in brackets. It, is, it does take you a little bit longer, but it just helped me... Yep flick between the two anyway it helped uh between the two versions it just helped me understand yeah. it a little bit more so maybe
0: before you read i'll just explain the amplified for our listeners yes please so, go so the the basic theory and if i'm correct behind the amplified version all scholars have to take the original hebrew or the septuagint which is a greek translation of the old testament some do that mm-hmm. they have to take the original text and then translate it into english and there's rules of thought about how do we do that so the new american standard tries to stay very literal but by trying to stay very literal to sentence structure and so on, it can be hard to read. And at the other end, you get like the message, which isn't really a translation. It's more an interpretation, which is mm. very loose or the passion or something like that. Um, useful as a different insight, not for th- cold hard. You wouldn't build doctrine out of that loose stuff, right? No, right. Um, NLT is written at a low, like they say, it's written for like 12-year-olds. I, I like it, not because I think, because I, th- I treat myself like a 12-year-old. I think I want something <laughs> that, it's uh, to me, it's got a, a decent amount of, balance between readability and accuracy Uh, that's why we use that a lot that's why i use it a lot yeah Um, i used to use new king james i I learned on the niv then i went to new king james for a long time and more recent years i've been on nlt but when it comes to study i'll use a variety of different things you saw me a few minutes ago going to my strong's and i often do that and go okay Mm. what's the strong's word for it she's like i can do that on my phone instead of the big long thick heavy book the strong's (laughs) concordance you gave me your old big heavy (laughs) book yeah exactly (laughs) i use that a lot in bible um, college yeah you would have done yeah (laughs) so and, and it's actually that that is the Amplified. So what they've done with the Amplified is they'll they'll actually go to the Strongs from memory. It's the Strongs or mm-hmm. the Vines or one of the big commentaries. And they will, rather than just select one translation or one meaning for a word, they'll often give you multiple variations. So if you look in the Strongs Concordance, it, the word might have three or four different meanings or variations of meaning. Mm-hmm. And they will often quote, in brackets, two or three of those to to flesh it out and give you a bit more understanding. So that's where the Amplified comes from.
1: Okay, cool. Well, with that being said, let's read the Amplified version of verse 5 to 9 in Haggai 2. As for the promise which I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit stands, and in brackets, firm and immovable. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I love the yeah,
2: amplified these. good fees. for that sort of yeah. thing, isn't it? Yep.
1: Um, I love firm and immovable. Anyway, sorry. And continues with you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the desirable and precious things, ...of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory and splendour, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter, glory of this house, will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I shall give the ultimate peace and prosperity, declares the Lord of hosts. Um, Okay, so let's just start at the top of that. Uh So... This is talking about Jesus, right? Yes,
0: this is a prophecy about Jesus. Okay, so I we're gone
1: from, hey guys, be strong and courageous, keep going because Jesus is coming, right? This yeah. is this is when they're starting to talk about that.
0: Well, they, 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 whether or not they actually saw this as a Messiah prophecy at the time, I'm not sure. They may have done, mm-hmm. but they certainly saw it, at the very least, they saw it as God coming into his temple.
1: Okay. Yeah. So as we talk, so the shaking of the heaven and earth once more. Yes. First of all, okay, once more. What's once more mean? Has it happened in the past?
0: Um, well, they've, come, they've got the big shaking of heaven and earth that I think they would have been thinking about was the fact that they were sent into exile. Okay, that right. So it's not their whole world had literal. been turned upside down. No, I okay. think it had just been their entire world was turned upside down. And right. it seemed like God had shaken the heavens and the earth. I don't think, it, I don't think it's talking literally. Uh, I think it's talking. It's more like, hey,
1: sh- where this is going to shake things up. This is going to shake things up a lot. Yeah, right.
0: I'm, I'm going to do it again because right now it seems like this temple is hopeless. It's small. It's not even yeah. same as the old days. And he's going to say things like, "The glory of the future days is better than the glory of the yeah, don't dwell stuff, on the past kind of stuff, right? Don't dwell on the past. This yeah. is going to be better than that. You thought the old temple was good. You ain't seen nothing yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. right. Cool. Oh, well, that's good because I did think I did make this bit of. A connection here with in matthew the matthew 28 chapter that we read this week with the great earthquake when the stones rolled away and i thought i wonder if that's got some sort of significance or link there do do you think it does or is it am i reading too much into that
0: i think you might be reading too much into it but that's not to say that that's not the case i i think the fulfillment of this Mm -hmm. is jesus walking into the temple
1: walking into the temple cool oh
0: that's good i think that's to me that's the fulfillment that nearly 500 years after this Mm. uh he says i will fill this place with glory says the lord of heaven's armies Mm. and 500 years after this this temple's much bigger herod's rebuilt it it's huge Mm -hmm. it's glorious and it seems like that's the glory of it but that's nothing the true glory comes when jesus the son of God walks into that temple and it, that that prophecy, I believe is fulfilled in that. Mm.
1: Um, I loved reading that part about, and I will fill this house with glory and splendor. Yeah. It just reminded me of, of our um, pastor Fred's uh, preach a few weeks ago. He, he really related that to, to Jesus, Jesus and yep. and being in him being the glory and splendor yes. that fills the temple. Yep. Um, but what I don't understand, my next question is the, the desirable and precious things of all nations. What, what are they talking about there? Uh, What's, I will shake the nations and they will come with the desirable and precious things of all nations. And also the gold, silver and gold is mine. What is he talking about?
0: Uh, I think he's just talking about the wealth of the riches the of the world, the yeah, world's right. material structures. They belong to him. And, and he's saying that, you know, you might not have much to build this temple right now. It might seem like you're building it out of some old burned out stones and some and a mm-hmm. bit of timber. But, hey, I'm everything in this world belongs to me. I've got control of it all. Yeah, cool. It's all mine. And if I want to bring it in, I can. And it's a prophecy that ultimately yeah. all the nations of the world and all their wealth will ultimately serve God's purpose on the earth. That's yeah. how I read this.
1: I suppose if you just read it on its own, it's like, what is he talking about? Yeah. But when you... Listen to what you've just said before about the context of where they're at yeah. and what they're saying and why they're going. Oh, look, this temple yeah. isn't going to be. Yeah. It makes sense to them because it was silver and gold before. So it, totally. was really it was really beautiful. Was covered in gold,
0: and then all the gold was taken down and melted and taken off, and yeah, and yeah. They haven't and got anything saying, guys, that they had it's before. It's all good.
1: It's all mine. It's all
0: mine anyway, and it's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And this is it. What's really good about the Book of Haggai, just for you, for the listeners, is that this is a really because it's two chapters. It takes you five, six minutes to read it, it's a good book to learn the skill of reading in context. Because mm-hmm. what you've just done there is really good. You've, you've asked a question, but we didn't have to do very hard to put it back in its context. Yeah, that's right. And go, oh, okay, it's obviously he's talking about the fact that these guys are a bit discouraged because it says it there in mm. black and white in verse three. So there's a bit of discouragement happening. Yeah. So I think it's a good book to learn that skill of, let's, it, let's take this scripture, insert it in its context and see what it might be saying to us.
1: Mm. So, okay, well, I hadn't re- written this question down, but for our listeners, how does one find the context? How does one learn all of that sort of thing? Is there some sort of specific, like, you're strong, not specifically Strong's, but like that sort of text that can help mm-hmm. our listeners mm-hmm.
0: There's a really good podcast called The Bible. Wait,
1: what?
2: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding.
0: I'm just kidding. Part of what I want to do in this is not give you the answers, but help you. I mean, yes, we will be obviously giving answers, but I, I'm hoping that you'll take out of this. Oh, learn how. So as you're listening to this, mm. learn how I do it. Mm-hmm. No, not just. I, I'd like you to actually listen, not just to what I'm saying, but try to understand. Uh, if I can do my job properly, I'm articulating some of what I'm doing behind the scenes yeah. so that you can learn for yourself. Yeah. So... Um, there is a number of...
1: Chat GPT might be. Ch- Chat GPT. We've <laughs> talked about that a get few times. Help? That can be helpful.
0: Um, uh, for, I for those this th-
1: podcast should be um, getting royalties. Yes, yeah, so I should be getting royalties from
0: <laughs> Chat GPT. Look, for those that um, I, I, I really just don't know a basic place to start, mm. um, you're feeling new to studying the Bible, get yourself a study Bible. That's the basic elementary. Uh, My very first Bible that my mum bought me on Christmas 1990. Wow. Uh, Christmas 1989. Christmas 1989, or yeah, Christmas 1999 was an NIV leather-bound study Bible. I've still got it. Pages are falling out everywhere else. Mm. Gray leather-bound study Bible. So start with a study Bible. And what a study Bible is, is um, an entry-level commentary. So what will happen is at the top of the text, you've got the top two-thirds of the page, you'll have the text of the Bible with little numbers mm-hmm. and down the bottom, under the bottom line, you'll have little mini commentaries, often on the key verses. So it'll mention verse 2, it'll tell you a little bit, oh, what does verse 2 mean? You go down and you'll read a little bit about verse 2. Mm. So that'll put it in its context. So for elementary level, start with a study Bible. Yep. Um, next level up, get yourself a commentary mm. or use Google or GPT. Yeah. Okay. So it used to be back I'm showing sure my age now, but back I didn't have any of that on yeah. pre-Google, so I had to use a commentary. So mm. I walked. I had a commentary and um, a study Bible.
1: That's another thing that you gave me when you okay, moved. I gave you a commentary as well. Have okay. <laughs> a this, whole bookshelf full of, of books, the, the Matthew. Um,
0: the Matthew Henry's commentary. Yeah, yes, Matthew okay. Henry's commentary. Yep. Well, they're, so they're uh, all which my Which is a little
1: old school these days. It's a little old school, but it's
0: a good entry level. It is entry level commentary, but most of that stuff you can get online. So. Yeah.
1: Don't take that as doctrine either, though. It's someone's commentary
0: on text.
1: Read another one and combine the two. Ask questions. I think um, it's important to say like, that's why we encourage connect groups because you can talk about that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. What
0: on earth did he mean when he said the Lord of Heaven's armies? And then you can have a conversation. Oh, let's dig into that together. The Bible is meant to be in history. In ancient times, it was meant to be studied and read together and talked about together yeah. that's how synagogue worked that's, that's how it was supposed to work that's
1: why church and community is so, is important, so important right yep um yeah, yeah so, so that's right use, use community
0: hang out together talk to people use google uh and the simple tools are yeah start with a study bible get yourself one of those get a commentary and get a bible dictionary yeah. uh, bible dictionary is a different tool but is very useful it's it's like an encyclopedia if you think about yeah. Britannica or World Book or something like that, yep. excellent, b- if I can recommend one yeah. called the New Bible Dictionary. Good, good tool. Cool. Uh, multiple versions of that out now, in renditions of that out. And that is a lot of the key top di- topics, names, places, events in the Bible mm-hmm. in a um, dictionary A to Z order. So yeah. I can go, okay, okay, Haggai. I can look up H for Haggai and I can read about Haggai. Mm. or I can look up T for temple and go, okay, read about the history of the temple. So That's those great. tools, mm. um, you can get them all online or paper, but they are a good elementary place for people to start.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this. That's because a really good I question. I think it's really important for, for people. To, we want people to fall in love with the Bible. Yeah, and
0: these tools will definitely help you. Do it. They, they're the tools that help mm. me do it. Those tools coupled with me just spending hours and hours in my car when I was a photocopier technician listening to the Bible on cassette tape, they were. That's how I fell in love with the Bible.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah Kenny does that. Um, he does as well. He well. He used to when he used to yep. drive a long way to work early in the morning. He would listen to um, the U version Bible app. And he just would press get through it once every ninety
0: days. Back yeah. In those times. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, now he's actually got to read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I still don't read. I still <laughs> listen.
0: Yeah. I was sitting here preparing my earbuds in while you were preparing and I was oh, listening. Really? I was listening to the Bible.
1: See, on my way here, I listened to it. And that, I still think that helps, but I absorb more when I
0: read. When you read. When yep. I
1: read, when I highlight, when I make notes, I learn. think how I, I, I do learn. too. Yep. Um, but I do enjoy listening to it as well yep. because it's, it's – p- back to that, you know, let's have it written on our heart. Yeah, let's sure. really get it into our souls. It's not just about – reading something and then going, wait, what? And then just leaving it. And then just giving
0: up. That's right.
1: Um, And that's, yeah, that's why we're doing this podcast. That's 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 the big why, really, isn't it?
0: Exactly.
2: Um,
1: But, yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Because there's so much, so much, right? Yep. Okay, so a couple of months later, we've got verse 10 to verse 19.
0: Yep. We're right in Um, the dead of winter now. It's
1: like, boom, okay, we're straight into this. Um, On the 24th day of the ninth month, so we've got... Like a specific time frame. It's here. December
0: the eighteenth. The NLT tells you. Yes,
1: yep. yeah. So amplified says that too. Yep. Um, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the Haggai the prophet, saying, "Okay, so they're talking here about this unclean meat mm-hmm. and what they've like what they're doing wrong there, and well, he he basically uses this." As an, an
0: explanation, yeah, it's an explanation. So yep. there's a
1: lot in this middle part of, so like bookended, right? So the first part is a prophecy of Jesus. The second part, which we'll ca- touch on later, is another prophecy of Jesus. The mm-hmm. verse twenty to twenty-three, 20. Yep. Yep. this promise of messianic line.
0: But what's all this analogy? Yeah, what's this middle? stuff in okay. the middle?
1: Like there's a lot here yep. talking about this unclean. Again, yep. we're reading it for uh, you know to a people that understand that. But why is it sandwiched okay. here? Should okay. we be uh, paying yep. attention to this? Does it connect? You know, yeah, okay. I know there's a lot of questions in that one question, but yeah, let's, should we read it? Or do you uh, want la- to just summarize it? it I think. Yeah, summarize it. Because
0: it. 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 it is a bit confusing, but you've got to remember he's talking to priests. Yep. And a priestly and people. They and they understood. This is yeah. all, this is all mosaic law yeah about rules of cleanliness and uncleanliness. Yeah. And essentially they would say that if you if you were unclean and you touched something that thing became unclean mm. that's the principle if yes. if i was ritually unclean i couldn't touch something or that that thing would be ritually unclean as well and i won't Go into the depth of uncleanness and its meaning yeah. here. Yeah, that's I a whole different issue. <laughs> uh, it's a whole rabbit hole. It's it's valid. It's just beyond the scope of this conversation yeah, right now. Definitely. But by all means, just grab your Bible dictionary and just study uncleanness, yeah. and you'll see. Yeah. You'll get some idea of it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, Bible Project has got some good stuff on uncleanness as well. You can have a look at what they have to say about. It. I think it's in their holiness video. Um, so yeah, that's. Oh it. really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, it talks about what it is. I think it's the holiness one.
1: Let's put that in our footnote. Our yeah, our I'll see if I can
0: remember when I <laughs> when we're doing the social. <laughs> <footnote>. <laughs> I'll write just search holiness right, I, uh, I think it's holy one yeah. but uh, in all of that um, I think the key is that they understand this concept of how th- their their uncleanliness makes other things unclean now if you if you I think this is a direct link back to the beginning of chapter one where he says you guys are having all your you, you're trying your best and it's all being blown away Mm. because he, you know, you're trying your best, you're not, being, you're not getting enough crops, nothing's working for you. Why is that? Because your hearts weren't right. You weren't putting God first. Right. And I think that's the link here. Remember how it was in the past? Your hearts weren't right. And, you, and he's using an analogy that they understand. Because let's have a look at in verse 14, after he explains this analogy to them about, back and forward to them about the uncleanness, he says, mm. Then he responded, this is how it was with the people of this nation. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Mm. Your priorities are wrong. That's yeah. what he's saying. You've got the wrong priorities. You haven't put the Lord first, which is a big part of what Haggai's prophecies are all about. You've got to prioritize the Lord. Mm. Everything you do is offered by sin. Look at what was happening before you. You were hoping for, here's the link, you were hoping for 20, crop, 20 bushel crop, and it was taken away. Mm. So that your heart wasn't right. Your priorities weren't in the right place. And now he's saying, now you've corrected your priorities. Now you're mm. putting God's house first. And then the promise comes that I am actually going to restore you and think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now. The seed's still in the barn, but I'm going to bless you because you've corrected your priorities. That's, he's using an analogy that understood to make a point. And I think it's, I know I'm not expecting all our listeners to understand that analogy, mm-hmm. and, I, and if I was really digging into it and preparing a sermon on that particular point, I'd be doing a lot more research than what I've just shared because yeah. I don't feel like I've probably given enough justice to, to my hearers right now, yeah. but, but I'm trying to answer it in two minutes rather than two minutes, a 20-minute sermon.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But dig into <laughs>
0: it, but the point is, often these prophecies and analogies, the point's there. The point is, you've put your priorities right, now yeah. God's, goes, God's yeah. gonna bless you.
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, I won't. You know, on that note, I won't ask my next question, which was more like, "How do we apply this to our lives?" Because, like you just I said, I think
0: the priorities issue is the point of yeah. Haggai. Yes. More, yep. I'm not saying it's the only point, but to me, the primary point of the Book of Haggai is it's a call, a challenge to us, mm. just like it was to them. Is where are your priorities?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, where are our priorities? Yes. Uh, and then again, like I said, that sandwiched um, prophecy. He comes and says it again. Yes. That he's going to shake shake the, heavens, the kingdoms. The yep. earth. He's shaken it up. Um, yep. Don't worry, I'll bless you. But this yep. is this is happening. Yep. Um, like a signet ring, uh, I love this, and I will make you through the Messiah, your descendant, like a signet ring, for I have chosen you as the one with whom to renew my covenant to David's line. Declares the Lord of Hosts. Yeah. So he promises there, right then and there. Yep. So there's two key characters
0: in this book. There's well, three if you count Haggai. There's Haggai and then there's two key characters. Jeshua, the high priest, mm-hmm. and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Jeshua mm-hmm. is the descendant of the high priestly line. Mm-hmm. Zerubbabel was the descendant of King David. So he was right. was he was the, had been appointed as the governor. So, so he, tr- he can trace his lineage back to King David. Okay. So what you have here are two people that represent the two streams of governance in the I- nation of Israel. The priestly line and the kingly line. The royal line and the priestly line. Wow. Moses' line, if you like the Levites and the Judah, and those of Judah. Mm -hmm. Jesus is fulfillment of both of those. Jesus is the great high priest. So he's the fulfillment of both of those. So both of these prophecies actually speak about Jesus. They speak firstly to Yeshua and to Zerubbabel, Mm -hmm. but secondly, they speak to to Jesus. So he says, it's not all over. He's telling telling a descendant of David, there's no king. It seems like the king is... Put Darius in a foreign land And he's going No, no, no I'm not finished with the kingdom of David The royal kingdom of David The house of yeah. David Zerubbabel I'm going to put a signet ring Yeah Give you a stamp And you are going to be the one Through whom the ch- pretty a- cool. And if you read about Zerubbabel He's in the lineage of Jesus
1: isn't that amazing, though? Like, imagine being told that.
0: Yes. <laughs> imagine the encouragement oh. that brings.
1: It's so exciting. It would really inspire them to keep going, yeah. right? Yep, yeah, for and sure. It, and it makes sense, to, again, it makes sense to them why he's, he's talking like yep. this with language like this. So let's start with our New Testament chapters. Yep. Uh, all, um, these,
0: all these te- New Testament chapters are all the last chapter of each of the four Gospels, plus the first chapter of Acts that record, in some degree or other, the resurrection ascension of Christ. Something yeah, like that. the yeah. resurrection and ascension. Specifically the ascension. Um, so it do. makes
1: sense that we're reading all of these particular New Testament chapters this yep. week, uh, because it relates to our overarching theme. However, um, (laughs) I think you'll notice as you read along that they're all telling... It's like a little bit of Chinese whispers here. They're all telling a slightly different... Different different perspectives. Perspective. But I guess the first thing I wanted to say was, you know, if you and I and say... You know, Adrian's in the room right now, so let's use Adrian as an example. Hi, Adrian. Uh, hi, Adrian. <laughs> um, Adrian and, and say, I don't know, someone, the next person that walks in the door to write a story about the next year yep. or the next six weeks or whatever. We will all have a slightly different story, right? Yes, correct. However, yep. they all they do all interconnect. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. Yep. There are some... Slight different order of events though. Yes, there's orders
0: of events that are different. There is recorded different events or things that are recorded differently. And far from being um, evidence of it being made up, Mm. any uh, forensic scientist, Mm. historian, anybody that's used to dealing with uh, the way uh, events are recorded literally and historically, will tell you that is not evidence of it being made up. That is evidence of accuracy. Mm. Um, a, a police, if you've got any police or detectives listening to this or lawyers listening to this, they will know that if they get multiple witnesses all telling the same story exactly, that is a fabricated story. <laughs> they have all sat down true. and fabricated that this story. This is very true. They yeah. understand that everybody's perspective is different because we all see things through a different lens. So evidence yes. of difference Mm -hmm. As long as the main, and the main points of resurrection and ascension and and they're absolutely common across these four accounts, they're all illustrating different points for different reasons at different times and that shows evidence of consistency, not evidence of inconsistency.
1: Yeah, I think there there probably aren't many questions for these because it's a pretty straightforward story. If you read them all, you'll kind of get... A bit of an overarching picture. Basically, in
0: all of them, Jesus is resurrected. Some of them have the resurrection in earlier chapters, but essentially, Jesus is resurrected Mm -hmm. for a period of 40 days. He appears Mm -hmm. to his disciples in various settings. Mm -hmm. And then after 40 days, he ascends into heaven. Mm. Yeah.
1: I think um, it's important to note that, say, for example, you shouldn't just read Matthew 28 because if that's the case, you will miss so much. Yeah. There is, while it's important to read that, but if you read it on its own, like he goes straight from, uh, you know, from the from the appearance to the ascension, and yes, then that's it. Yes, like There's the no end. mention of
0: the 40 days in Matthew's yeah, there's Gospel. Yeah, n- you no. know, if
1: you were to just read Matthew's Gospel, yep. you miss out on the fact that it, it was actually 40 whole Forty days. 40 days, and there's a
0: lot happening in those 40 days. Yeah, so
1: much happens. And yep. then again, if you just read Mark, and if you just read Luke yep. and John, you miss out on stuff. So it's important that we, we put together this unique puzzle yep, sure. of this beautiful time of 40 days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but again, different completely different pictures. I mm-hmm. kind of got this vibe from Mark that it was a little like Matthew just seems to be like, "Oh, I'm so happy that Jesus is alive. <laughs> this is what happened and amazing." Whereas Mark seems a little bit more like, oh, "Look, it wasn't all that great. We Luke and Mark both kind of describe this chastising that they get from Jesus. It's like, "Guys, I can't believe
2: you. You, didn't
0: you get don't this. believe me." Yeah, like yeah, what? Sure.
1: You know, and and I think that probably, maybe that affected them more and that's why they thought yes, to mention it. Yes, maybe so, maybe so. Um, yeah. But whereas Matthew was just yep. <laughs> really just like, who cares? Yep. I'm just so happy to see him. Yep. Um, that's the kind of picture that I got yep. from that. But, yeah, I guess, again, we just have to read it all Yes. Um, to, yeah, to make that up. And it's great that we can read all of this together as we go along. So, Matthew 16.
0: Ma- Matthew Sorry,
1: Mark 16. Oh, we're
0: going to Mark 16 now.
1: Yeah, we're going to Mark 16 now. All
0: right, so we're finished with Matthew 28.
1: Yeah, let's finish with Matthew 28 because Matthew's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. straightforward. Okay. you know, uh, look, if you do have questions. It's resurrection, ascension. Yes, yeah, resurrection, uh, ascension. Uh, we'll,
0: while we're in Matthew 28, I will say the Great Commission is in Matthew 28. So yes, th- that's well, the Great Commission it. Is, it is in Mark 16 yeah, as well. Yes, yeah. that's correct. So, yes, it's that sense of Jesus is initiating them, appointing them for, commissioning them for his work in the kingdom, going into all the world yeah. and um, baptizing and preaching, mm-hmm. which is obviously going to come to in Mark 16.
1: The reason why I wanted to focus on Mark 16. Let's do it from there then. Mark is 16. Because there, there's a little bit more detail that requires a little more conversation, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you've just made a point to me um, before this that there's this whole big chunk that wasn't <laughs> in there. Wasn't
0: in the original, I- in er, the original. most ancient manuscripts. Yes. That's what that's all we know. It's not in the so most ancient manuscripts. Doesn't mean it wasn't there originally. And scholars are debated. Whether or not it means that Mark actually wrote it or whether someone interpreted it and brought it in later, we don't know for sure. But other than the fact that the earliest manuscripts we have do not have it.
1: Okay, so where did it come from then? That's so
0: I think the prevailing view among scholars is that it was probably, it was probably edited in mm-hmm. later on um there might be people who might find problem with that and i totally understand that you might have a problem with that i'm going to defer to ancient textual s- s- criticism and and there will be scholars who will go no no no, it's just the fact it must be mark's gospel or it wouldn't have been included so the earliest manuscripts maybe it was left out for a reason or maybe that page got ripped off the back the papyrus or well
1: i was just going to say that it's pro- that more than likely all, was all lost of, and then found again all
0: <laughs> of those things are possibilities yeah, yeah and i'm no scholar on all of that there other wasn't than a to hard say
1: that you know you had password <laughs> to Exactly, yes,
0: yeah, right. <laughs> other, other than to say that I wouldn't be necessarily phased if it is it was added later because what it does is it gives me a, it would at very least it would give me a commentary on the beliefs and practices of the early church. Mm. So, um, so the school of thought that says it ends it ends with verse eight, which is a very strange. This is why it's so much conjecture around an it ending. It's mm. Basically, the women have seen Jesus alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sorry, they, they um, let's read from say the angels in verse 6 the angel said don't be ashamed don't be alarmed you're looking for Jesus he isn't here he's risen from the dead go and see this is where they laid his body now go and tell his disciples including Peter and Jesus Peter that Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee you'll see him there just as he told you the women fled from the tomb trembling and bewildered they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened now I don't know about you but that seems like a very Confronting way to end. Mm, I think Com- so if you compare too. it with all the others,
1: it seems like a page has been ripped. It the does back. seem like a page
0: because it doesn't seem to bring any closure to the story. Yeah,
1: now, yeah, and and again, that is very different to the other or all accounts, the others which uh, bring closure. You know, like well, even just what he said so far, like the Marys that were there. Yep. Um, is this Salome character? It's the only Salome. Yep. The sorry, Salome. I it?
0: think that's how you say it. Yep
1: that person yep it's the only account where this person's mentioned um the one of the other chapters we read that they fell at his feet and worshipped him mm-hmm. um so this doesn't happen these it's, guys there's just no
0: reference here to them seeing jesus no that's no, right yeah sorry Gospels sorry
1: jesus that's what i meant yes, to say yes. yeah they fell and worshipped jesus whereas there's no reference here yes. of that you know like uh
0: this is a bit of those what wait moments yeah, this, is yeah. this is a bit of a confusing whereas
1: one. yeah verse 9 it says that he first appeared to mary magdalene yeah. where's the other two marys yeah. it's like a very yeah. different story here yeah. um and again maybe it was one of those things that you know like different percep- perception and seeing it through a different lens but maybe mark was yeah. one of the people who didn't believe them when they came
2: back well mark know? wasn't
0: we don't know who we we assume mark is the same john mark that <laughs> paul and Paul talks about when he takes Barnabas with him. So um, we assume that's who this is. So does that
1: mean he wasn't actually there um, to retell the story anyway?
0: They think he was probably um, he was probably around. Mm -hmm. I think if I'm right he possibly could have been Peter's cousin. I think some scholars say. I'm trying to think. Maybe that was Barnabas. Um, Anyway, this is the John Mark that left them and ran away, which is Mm. Um, in Paul later on in the book of Acts. Um, but I think some scholars have the view that he's probably writing down this gospel. His gospel is probably written down from the perspective of Peter. So I don't know what evidence there is for that, but that's what I think I've heard, that this might be closer to Peter's re- Peter's dictation about his memory of the gospel, okay. as opposed to, say, John or Matthew um, or Luke. So if that's the case, then this is Peter's explanation of it. Now, so what's going on here? Scholars who think that it ends, that it does end with um, that women running away frightened, mm-hmm. they think that's an intentional liter- literary device to try to create this drama, and say it's not over, mm. and, and move on. And they ran away frightened. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's like it's, it's like ending ending the plot un, ending with the plot unfinished to say now it's over to you. What are you going to do about the fact that this Jesus, the tomb is empty? What are you going to mm. do with it? So if they you think pause
1: there for a second, if that's the case, right? That would kind of make sense if it was Peter that had mm-hmm. a hand in this. Yep. That it would make sense that the next part, his next part of the story is Acts 1.
0: Yes. His like... Yes, so that's I- the next time you get to see If we take him out the other
1: two and we read yep. it chronologically, it would be like, hey, this is not the end. But then Acts 1, because Peter is like the real main star of the story in Acts In 1.
0: Acts 1. Yes, he is. He's the that leader. That would of the make church. sense. Right? Yes, it would make sense. I think that that's a that's a valid perspective. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. keep going no, with the part. other. No, so you know that I I can I can be comfortable with a literary technique that does that, mm. um, and then yeah we don't we don't hear of anybody until well, well Mark's gospel is we're not hearing about anything else. That's the end of Mark's gospel. Mm. Um, it's Luke's gospel. Luke wrote his gospel, then he transferred across and wrote Acts one straight afterwards. Um, so that that's a to me, I could reconcile that. Yeah. I just don't know whether that's what's going on or whether if we assume that these earlier manuscripts were lost and then found, then we end up with these other endings of Mark. Yeah. The difference is there's actually two different endings as well. So um, there's a shorter ending of Mark that's been mm-hmm. found and some manuscripts have that and there's a longer ending of Mark. Um, and some Bibles, some translations will have both, mm-hmm. some will have one, some will have the other, Some, mm. you know, they're all different. Uh, I'm looking at the NLT here in front of me and it's got actually shows both the shorter ending and the longer ending, Hmm. okay? So um, the longer ending is almost like just trying to tie up that tension that was left. Oh, they're running away frightened.
2: Yeah, right. And so
0: the shorter ending just says this, they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions, and afterwards Jesus himself sent them out to the east and west with a sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. I kind of get the impression that that's some kind of scholar writing down, going, "We can't really, we can't end this book like this. Yeah, <laughs> this, is just, right. this is too I've got to put some kind of closure on it." And so yeah. in, in a, that's that's how that reads to me. Some kind yeah. of quick closure. Whereas
1: the longer ending kind of the longer ending is, it is seems like that <laughs> missing page,
0: and it almost has a lot of Matthew's gospel in it. Mm. If you look at it, it's yeah, very right. similar to Matthew. Yeah, I think that's why I connected those two. That's why you connected two those two. And had Luke and yep. John connected yep. later. There seems that, to be we'll a lot of linking. After Jesus up. was risen from the dead, mm-hmm. he appeared to Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. So that doesn't fit with what was written just above, where it, the, the Marys are different.
2: Yeah, right.
0: She went to the disciples grieving and weeping. And afterward, he appeared to two different ones. Now, that's actually Luke's gospel. The two guys on the road to Emmaus, that's what he's referring to here. After he mm-hmm. appeared to two followers, Walking from Jerusalem into the country. So that, that's not mentioned here. That's mentioned in, in depth in Luke's Gospel yeah, in a minute.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. They rushed back and told the others. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples, which Matthew's Gospel tells us about, and Luke's Gospel, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: The reclining at the table the re- is the, um, the language that's used. They use that again. They use that again, mm. yeah. So you can. Yeah. S-
0: so at face value, it seems to me that someone later on has got access to the other documents, the the, the mm-hmm. scholars, and they've gone, okay, let's finish Mark's gospel. It could be because it was lost. Maybe Mark did finish it like this. And we're going, this is our best guess at what Mark would have said because mm. there's a lot of similarities between Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and Luke's gospel. Mm. They're called the synoptic gospels for a reason. There's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. So then maybe they're assuming that Matthew, Mark's gospel was lost. So our best guess is to try to use stuff from Matthew and Luke and mm. put it in here to make it sound like the synoptic gospel. Okay. What I think is useful out of it Is the bit at the end um, verse 17 it says these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they'll cast out demons in my name they'll speak in new languages they'll be able to handle snakes with safety if they drink anything poisonous it won't hurt them they'll be able to place their hands on sick people and they will be healed so either Jesus said that specifically in Mark's gospel or this is even if this is later this tells me this is the early practice of the church they believed that Jesus said this and they were, um, we see P- Peter was, uh, Paul was bitten by a snake and poisoned by a snake in Malta and it didn't kill him. Mm. He was able to shake the snake off. Um, we see them speaking in tongues. We see them laying hands on people. So this mm. is an insight into the early church practice. This was right. normal Christian life for them. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: It does. I'm glad you said that because one of my questions that I'd written down was verse 17 to 18. Some of these things we see now, but picking up serpents, drinking poison. Like, well, some not. weird, <laughs> co- some
0: weird cults think that that's some kind of religious practice that they do. Mm. That's not what it's saying. Yeah, uh, I think that's just trying to read it too literally. I Let's think it's trying to say that if you were bitten by a snake, or if you had to pick up a snake, or mm. that. And remember, when you think snakes, you've got to think serpent. You've got to think yeah. the devil. You've got to think the powers of the enemy here. Yeah, so right. There's a. That's good Poetic too. picture. Poetic here about picture how, too, yeah. You know, and in Luke 10 verse 11, mm-hmm. he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy yeah. and nothing will harm you. I think this is roofing off that whole same thought, which yeah. I assume Jesus said multiple times to them. He taught them about this. Yeah. That they would not need to fear for their safety. Even yeah. if they died in this life, God would protect them in the next. Yeah. And many of these Guys were martyred, almost all of them were martyred for their faith. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, before I'd r- uh, written that question down, I did have something, so just rewinding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Verse 16.
0: Verse 16? He
1: who has believed and has been baptized shall be st- saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Um, I think there was, that's not actually the he, version that I'd read, y- but it's who still refuses the question. To believe? Yep. Yeah, so the, the question that I had was so it says, he who has believed and has been baptised shall be saved. Okay, so belief and baptism, salvation, mm-hmm. equals salvation, right? But mm-hmm. he who is disbelieved, absence of baptising there, shall be condemned. Does this mean that we have to be baptised to be saved?
0: Uh, no, I don't believe it does. I believe it's p- a picture of normal Christian life. Mm. Uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, uh repent. And be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism was and is um, a normal part of Christian life. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't bring about salvation, but it is an effective outward marking of an inward change that happens with salvation. Otherwise, how would the thief on the cross be saved or you know no chance for baptism or someone who dies tragically at a young age or something no chance for baptism but that's not to say that the ritual of baptism is not and should not be disregarded if you're not baptized you should see that there's it's here it's in Matthew 28 we just read it Mm -hmm. go into all the world make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit the concept of ritual baptism is a one of the rituals fundamental rituals of the church which is a normal part of Christian life and it signifies uh, a significant event mm-hmm. and I believe that it's coupled with a sense of God's blessing upon it because it is a ritual
1: yeah okay cool I won't we won't dive into that anymore because I think we might touch on that in an upcoming podcast that sure. we've got on the Holy Spirit okay um, so it, yeah I guess All that's right. a little advertising plug <laughs> coming up <laughs> coming up but wait, There there's more. is. so I don't know if you've seen our future, um our future reading plan yet uh but we are doing the holy spirit next and well we're in the holy spirit uh, sorry, we're, we're in the holy spirit a, we are a doing we're doing a bonus doing episode, a bonus episode. On the Holy Spirit, um, which yeah. we'll be
0: recording with a team of us in a few days' time. Yeah, yeah cool. So, um, yeah. It may or may not be. I don't think it'll be out by this time, but probably in the next week or so, it'll be out.
1: Yeah, so these recordings, we're doing them ahead of time. So, it's yes. <laughs> we have to kind of well, remember. that's because I'm on
0: leave in May, so we're trying to remember yeah, where we're up to. we're so trying we're, to remember. We're cram recording.
1: Yes. So, anyway. Um, okay, so continuing on. Verse 19 So, then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So, the accounts all kind of give a very similar picture of him rising up and being some say on a cloud, some say um, that he just kind of started moving or he disappeared, I think. Um, So, how? (laughs) How did this happen? But what did they actually see? Do you think this is poetic or do you think this is literal here did he literally just start floating uh, <laughs> i i he went? Th-
0: i think this one appears to be literal yeah which I, is pretty I would find cool, it right? hard to read that as some kind of um and the fact that it's mentioned in multiple gospel yeah. accounts i think it's exactly that i think there's a picture for them that that Jesus came from heaven and was returning to heaven. And I think for whatever reason, he could have just said, "Clicked his fingers and disappeared, like beam me up, Scotty, kind of thing. Mm. But I think in order for it to be visual, Jesus has actually taken them to the Mount of Olives and mm-hmm. he has ascended into heaven mm. and, and he disappeared behind the clouds. And I think there's significance in that. You'll find that in the Daniel, son of man, ascending from earth into heaven prophecy. Mm, Um, I think that's a significant link there. This same one who you've seen go will come back again. So there's definitely a, I think it's for whatever reason. And I think that the church throughout history has held that this was actually a physical ascension into the clouds and somehow the clouds and I don't know whether it was natural clouds or whatever, Mm -hmm. but somehow, they're staring up and Jesus disappears. Mm. Um, it's definitely something to my mind. And the church has held it that way. And there's actual churches on top of the Mount of Olives. There's a Russian church and a Catholic church. And they both claim to be the spot where this event took place.
2: It's oh, pretty cool.
0: It's up there somewhere. There's even a spot. I think I mentioned this to Jeannie in the podcast. There's even a one church, little chapel that's got a, f- a rock, which they claim has got a footprint in it, which is like the last place where Jesus went up to him. I went there. Footprint 2,000 like years later. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, look, if... if if Jesus is ascending into heaven, I think he can put a footprint in a rock. I don't think that's beyond the capability of what yeah. Jesus can do. But I've been there and I've looked at that thing and it doesn't look like a footprint to me. <laughs> I'm well, not saying it's not. But 2,000, but 2000, years, later, 2000 years it could have eroded. eroded. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you never know. And I,
1: I suppose only Jesus knows. Yeah, yeah that's right. right.
0: It's not an obvious. Let's just say it's not an obvious footprint. Yeah. yeah. And I
1: suppose the, the actual place. This spot is—it's not really significant, is it? It's
0: the—it's f- f- what happened. It's what happened. So w- when happens. I go to Israel, we're always saying that there are there are chapels and churches all over the place claiming to be the traditional spot for that and that, and mm. some of them have good solid historic history—not provable, but you know, long-term history dating all the way back. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the even the spot Christian
1: where Church. Jesus's tomb was, right? Even they, the, yeah, they not the, actually That's in sure the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, yeah. So. Yeah, they're not actually sure if it's. The right place. They're not 100% they? yeah. sure.
0: No, I think I think I used to think that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre wasn't good historical evidence. I think I'm now of the opinion that it probably has more sound evidence than it, mm. than than um, for his crucifixion and and certainly his death. But it's not. I wouldn't say I'm hard and fast on it. But um, but somewhere on the top of the Mount of Olives. I mean, you go to the top of the hill. It's just literally the top of a mountain. And there's a street that runs across the top. So somewhere up there within a two or three hundred meter vicinity, he's gone up to heaven. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's up there somewhere. So yeah. if two or three churches want to claim that spot, over to them. But it's up on the top of the hill. And it is special to go there and think, wow, they was it looks different now. But this is where the disciples gathered. This is where Jesus sat and spoke to his disciples about the the the, church, the, the temple and looked across the hill at the valley to the temple and to be there and think, I've been there. That is actually it's not it's not a it's not an insignificant thing, Amanda. It it mm. does it does bring it to life in a way. Yeah. You can venerate it unnecessarily and, and then enshrine the location as some holy place like and you can the go Jesus a bit far. Jesus face in the toes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus face. You can go a bit far with it. Yeah. But it does it does have to st- to say it means nothing, I think is is probably in my experience not true either. I think there's mm. there is significance there. Yeah. Even if it's just to give me some greater perspective and understanding, I go, wow, I, I can picture this place. I can yeah. imagine what these guys went through or these ladies went through.
1: We could totally segue into a little uh, plug to the Israel tour <laughs> next <laughs> year
0: right now. <laughs> assuming we can go to Israel, <laughs> assuming we can get there next year. Yep, that's yeah. right.
1: Um, stand by for more yeah. information, just <laughs> yeah. so you know. If um, we can make it work. I will move heaven and earth to get there. Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's always been my dream, so I'm pretty excited to, to go. However... I'm not basing everything, no, not yeah everything like, no, uh, yeah no, that's yeah, right. so I think, yeah, yeah well i've haven't been there yet, you've been there how many times
0: I've been there twice, um, yeah, just the twice. And I do have a virtual tour that I did during COVID. So if anyone is interested, let me know. I can give you access to a virtual tour on Facebook where you can go with me online and watch the mm. recordings of my virtual tour, which has got videos and photos. Was it v- I thought
1: it was on Zoom.
0: It was on Zoom, yep. but we, put we uploaded it to Facebook. So oh, I have it on cool. a Facebook group. You can see it all. Yep, oh, you can that's go back great. and watch all the recordings. I think and I'm stuff. part of this group. I, think you I was part actually of that group. I think I you I part well yeah, I was. I, w- I joined along with the virtual tour. Back in 2020. Was. 2020 when we were yeah, in lockdown. Right in the middle of... Lockdown. Uh, but
1: it w- it is really good. Yeah. So, um, shameless plug on that too. It yeah. um, <laughs> goes for how long? Six weeks?
0: Uh, four weeks, I think four it was. Weeks. So, it's it four sessions. Four yeah, yeah. But a couple of hours of sessions. There's about eight hours of video tour, mixture of videos and photos and explanation. That's probably the next best thing to going. I, I enjoyed yeah, doing oh, it. I and agree. Yeah. yeah, It was Give really was good. I'd actually like to
1: watch it again. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. So, let's move on to John 21.
0: John 21.
1: John 21. Um, so the first part is a pretty cool fishing story, really. It is a fishing story. Um, this is the part. Actually, it's funny because Isla brought this up to me. She learned this in kids' church. My, my eight-year-old, um, nine-year-old. Oh, my nine god, year- she's nine. <laughs> um, sorry, Isla. Uh, yeah, she brought this up to me the other day. She learned it in kids' church. She said, that's when, you know, that's when Jesus um, told them to cast their net over the other side. And I went... Oh, you know that. That's so cool. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I love this story because they, first of all, yeah, they, they don't recognise him. So let's just quickly touch on that before we move on. They don't recognise him at first and he calls them children. Do you have any fish um, to eat along with your bread? So let's just remember that that says that before we move on. But John 21, 12 to 14, let's read that out loud together. Uh, So again, I'm going to read the amplified version this time. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew without any doubt that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had risen from the dead. So first of all, why did they not recognize him? I I don't really understand why they, like, did they know him? Did he look different? I thought he, they knew him well. Well, yeah. Like they traveled yeah, with sure. him for three plus years. Yep. They, they were his best friend. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, They loved him. Yep. Why did he look different? What, what was that? Is this, was this after Luke's account of when Peter saw him? In Luke 24, which we'll go into a little bit later. Peter saw him? Um, so Luke's account of when Peter saw him and his eyes miraculously opened in Luke 24, 30 to 33. Okay. Do you want to read that quickly? So we can link the two.
0: Luke 24, 30 to 33. I I mean, I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, it wasn't Peter. That's, that's, isn't that. That's the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Mm, so Peter's not where, one of those.
1: Where does it say that it was Peter? Well, let me let me. Oh, t- I'm linking the other one where okay. it, it says it Peter, was Peter. Peter, I'm okay. linking
0: So it all together, see. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about Peter. hmm We have evidence that Jesus spoke specifically to Peter, appeared specifically to Peter. It's mentioned in that extended Luke-Mark's gotten Yes, a right. there. Okay. Um, it there's evidence of it, but we don't actually have a recording of that conversation. Okay. Um, I think the scholarly perspective on why he appeared to Peter specifically and personally, Mm -hmm. even though there's no evidence of it, we don't know what transpired in that conversation is you've got to remember the last thing that Peter said to Jesus was he denied him three times. Mm. So it's almost like Jesus is personally reinstating Peter. Um, and it has a personal encounter where he does it. That's my best guess assumption on why Peter had this personal account was that Mm -hmm. Jesus was personally reinstating him saying, Hey Pete, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, which I think is really special. That is really special. Don Francisco, the old storyteller from the eighties and nineties. He wrote a beautiful song called He's Alive, which is basically his, it's a song telling a potential encounter of that story. So it's just his perspective on what might've happened in that story, in that encounter, but it's a magnificent yeah. song. About Peter's understanding of wow, Jesus is right there in the room with him. So that's
1: really cool. It's not
0: it's not Bible. It's just someone's interpretation of the Bible, but it's it's what might have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I mentioned Peter. But these what well, you're talking about, Luke twenty four here was mm-hmm. was a reference to the two dudes on the road to Emmaus. Yes, we know one of them. His name is Cleopas, and he's and his mate. We don't know who the other guy is.
1: Right. So okay. there was somewhere but else. Where you're going
0: is their eyes opened. Okay, and mm-hmm. I think there is a direct link. Your question was. How is it that they didn't recognize this guy? Okay. In this case, it appears that from John's gospel in John 21, they didn't recognize it was Jesus on the boat, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the shore when they were on the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, they couldn't, they couldn't tell it was him. Mm -hmm. Same as these dudes have walked for seven miles with Jesus and they're right beside him and they didn't recognize it was him. So something about his resurrected body, Mm -hmm. he has the ability to hide his appearance or appear in a way that they can't recognize. I don't think I would want to speculate beyond that, what that is, but that would appear to be the, the case that yeah. somehow this resurrected body has the ability to appear as Jesus or appear in a way that is hidden to Jesus, or whether that means he appears differently or somehow they just don't tell it's him. We don't know, but that's definitely part of the resurrected body. And then at some point when he, in, this, in, in the case of Luke's uh, Emmaus account, when he breaks the bread, they recognize it's
2: him. Uh, okay. Some scholars
0: say when he broke the bread, he would have opened up his hands. And at that point they would have seen the scar- the, the nail marks right. in his hands. So yeah. That was the thing. Oh, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. Yeah. That makes sense. But I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the case or whether it was just somehow at the point of opening the bread, they just, he he changed his appearance and they recognized him, that could have happened. And mm-hmm. in this, in this point, it appears they still don't recognize him what they know what they do know they say oh it's the Lord is because they've just had the dude on the beach say hey throw your net over this side yeah. and they've picked up fish and that takes them back to a previous encounter with yeah. Jesus and they go like
1: he's repeating he's
0: repeating the point to say hey this is me yeah
1: right and so
0: says, none of them dared to speak to him but they knew it was Jesus
1: yeah right okay so that's yeah um I did find why I thought that it was Peter on the road. Yep. Um, so a little bit later on in Luke, it says the Lord has, uh, really risen as and has a appeared a to a Simon Peter. It. Yep.
0: Um, but not, that's not the Emmaus account.
1: Well, it is, it's at the end. They're going, Hey, Hey, yeah, uh, our hearts not burning. They got up that, barrier, uh, yeah. went back to Jerusalem, yes. found the 11 apostles gathered together yeah. and those who were with them saying the Lord has really, um, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon Peter. And they began describing in detail what okay. happened back on the road. So that's why so I you told oh. Peter
0: was one of the guys on the road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a good example of why it's important to put it in its context because that's not what it's saying. Yeah. Right. So okay. Let, let me just, just so you get this, this is a good, this is verse good. 13, because... It says that of, the, of Luke 24, it says that same day, two of Jesus followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they'd been talking about everything that had happened. Okay. And yeah. there's here verse 18, then one of them, Polyopos replied to Jesus, you must be the only person in Jerusalem. Mm. We don't know who the other one was, mm-hmm. but it's two of his disciples, right. but they've gone back and they've appeared to the 11. Yeah. But they aren't part right. of the
1: 11. yes, okay. Yep, this is like yep, yep, two yep. of
0: the seventy-two. This is yep. like the the bigger crowd that were following Jesus, but they weren't part okay. of the, the core twelve, if you yeah,
1: like. Yeah, yeah. And this what happens later in Acts One, which again we'll yep. talk about it later. This all connects, guys. Um, isn't really so you know how they in Acts one they appoint this this uh, guy. So we'll this. talk about yep. that a talk bit later. A but yep. um again, so yep. when I said that all of this connects as a puzzle, it's, there's still, it's not so literal, no, connected. Let, let me, let me tell connected.
0: you about, maybe a basic timeline of what we can piece together in these 40 days. Yeah. So Jesus appears to women first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mary, whether it's multiple women, one woman depends on the account. Jesus appears to women at the tomb. He then tells the women to go and preach, mm-hmm. go and tell them about Jesus. So the very first preachers mm-hmm. of the resurrection are women. It yep. goes back, they tell the disciples, the disciples are a bit haphazard, aren't sure about that, but they do discover it. And Jesus says, and they tell, Jesus tells the women to tell them, go to Galilee. Now, another reason to come to Israel is to think about the distance. Hmm. Galilee is a week's journey from Israel, from Jerusalem. Yeah. North. So he could have just hung around. He could have hung around in Jerusalem for 40 days, but he didn't. He sent them on a week's journey north. So they went back to their home, com- back to their homeland, around the Sea of Galilee, back to their hometowns, and you can see why they end up fishing in Matthew 21. I mean, we're back here. Where's Jesus? Yeah. I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll just go back to what I used to know, which is fishing. So they go back for a fish, mm. which is what they, Peter and James and mm-hmm. John, and they have got they to eat and they just used to go back. Basically they go back to what they knew. They went back to fishing and mm. then Jesus appears to them in Galilee. And then they go back to Jerusalem again, another week's journey. And it's from there that they ascend into heaven. Okay. Okay. So that's sort of the geography of what's happening over these 40 days.
1: Geography and, you know.
0: And chronology to some degree. Yeah. We don't, we can't fit all together, but that's, that seems to be what's happened in those 40 days. Yeah, cool. There probably would be scholars that would say, why the significance of him going all the way back to Galilee? I, I've never really thought about that, but other than that, that's what he did. He uh, took them back to where he did most of his ministry. Yeah. And And it was from there that he seemed to. Reinstate them in a ministry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, a place where they knew. They knew
0: it. They're familiar with it. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's I guess after, after something so significant that has happened, you kind of want to go home.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that's maybe that's a good explanation as any is that Jesus knew that they've been through all this turmoil and emotion. And these guys came from there and he's going, go home for a while, guys, because I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem and you're probably not going to get home again. Yeah, right. because they their ministry launched yeah, in Jerusalem, well up there, yeah, off yeah. they go. So made it. It might have been that's hey, yeah, That's makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's all speculation, but yeah. it's it's fun speculation. Yeah, go spend some time at home.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and the eating as well is significant to the fact that Jesus eats.
0: The, yeah, I think he's trying to prove that. In one went in one sense, he's able to hide himself, but in another sense, he wants to prove. He says to Thomas, "Touch here and." Mm put your hands in my side and he wants to eat. He wants to prove that in one sense, he also has a physical body. So it's, it's a resurrected body. It's different to the earthly body, but it's some way it's linked. And 1 Corinthians 15 is the place to go. It's not in our readings that are here where Paul talks about the nature of resurrection and a seed falling into the ground and becoming something else, a bit of wheat and, and how the question is, is the seed and the wheat the same? And in one answer you say, well, it is. It's of the same essence, but it's also different. It's mm-hmm. more glorious. The wheat is more glorious than the seed. And so there's a link, but it, there's definitely a link, but they're different. <laughs> exactly. Same, but different.
1: What came first, the chicken and the Chicken and egg, <laughs> yeah, right. the same, but
0: different. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what we can learn about the resurrected body from these yeah. accounts and from 1 Corinthians 15, where I think Paul is probably drawing on these accounts and he's mm-hmm. understanding. That's probably the clearest explanations we have of what resurrection looks like.
1: Um, another thing that I wrote down, (laughs) which I think I mentioned to you before is I'd love to know if Simon, Peter and John were frenemies, um, just reading John, it just kind of seems well, he
0: gives Peter a bit of a hard time, does he?
1: Yeah, yeah, it seems, but I, I know you've mentioned to me that, um, that. We think that John didn't actually write it. Oh, no, but I, even I so, no, no,
0: I don't think that I just, I've done the research to that, but I think it's, um I think it's actually uh, Ben Witherington, I think who has, who's a New Testament scholar who presents some evidence that says that it could be Lazarus and I've not done that evidence, but I have heard people I trust who've said that his evidence is actually quite strong, that it could be Lazarus, it's quite convincing, but I don't no, I can't comment on that, but regardless, there's. Peter and John were part of the core three, Peter, James, and John. Mm. So, um, and they're very different person. If, if Assuming John, John seems to be a softer kind of personality. Peter seems to be a bit abrasive and a, a bit, um, abrupt. Yeah. Perfectly acceptable to me that there might've been a bit of argy-bargy between them.
1: Oh, I think so. I think it kind of gives the impression that they're real people. Yes. They're not perfect. Yeah. They are just as much...
2: They're frail. They're, frail. Lear-
1: they're just as human as we yep, are. Yep. And they're still learning about who Jesus is yep. to this point I in agree. the story.
2: Yep, I agree. Um,
1: And I think that's important to – the reason why I thought it was important to mention one, because it just – it kind of just sit, reads funny to yeah, me. yeah. But also just, hey, these guys are real people. Yep. They're not perfect. And, you know, it's okay to approach learning about Jesus and learning about the Bible –
0: In an imperfect Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. And I guess where you're going is where Pete's going, hey, what about John? How come he gets to stay behind? And Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly, uh, exactly.
0: And and Jesus pretty much John, John telling the story and going, hey, Pete, it's nothing, none of your (laughs) business, (laughs) buddy. If (laughs) I want him to stay, I can. But it also, Uh, it
1: talks a lot about how John's the beloved. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Correct. favorite. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's
1: like, I'm the favorite. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I think, um, I think scholars. The scholarly uh, debate, once again, this is just what I've gleaned. It's not that I've done my own research, but I think mm-hmm. the scholars tend to feel that John, the fact that John, assuming this is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation, he was obviously considerably younger than the others. So he would have been one of the youngest brothers, uh, quite, quite a bit younger. And because um, just by virtue of the fact that he lives to an old age and and he was the only one of the original 12 that they don't think was martyred. His, he was bald in oil, but survived according to uh, church history. Um, wow. Uh, that's, well, we don't know if that's, it's not in the Bible, but that's according to church history. He was bald in oil in Rome and he got out of it and survived and he was scarred and ended up writing the letter to the revelation on Patmos after he'd been boiled in oil. Um, but anyway, he died at an old age, which seems to fit this story. Um, and if it was, then it's quite possible scholars think that maybe just, he was just a young kid. I mean, they were all young, but he was the youngest of the young. It would make sense that Jesus would have a soft spot for the young boy. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes but, more sense too, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Like,
1: even the way he, um, I think it references it here, th- the way he leans over to him and asks about yeah, Judas. Yeah. It's like a little kid. It's like, yeah, it's who like who a is young, is it? Who is it? Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. You know,
1: yeah. Um, and and yeah. I'm
0: not a scholar, but I just think that there's, I'm drawing on my memory of what I've heard scholars say over the years and things I've learned. And some of this might be wrong. See, these are, these are really good um, examples of how much I take in, but I, before I then go and say, this is, this is the way it is, I would want to then go and verify it. Mm. So what I'm sharing with you in this, I'm making it very clear. I'm not, this isn't verified evidence. This is stuff I think I've heard that it's in, lodged in the back of my brain somewhere. And that's totally fine. But then I would need to verify it before I went and made hard and fast doctrine out of it.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, this is a conversation. Yes, that's e- right.
0: Well, I'm using it to model it to so you, you. We all have that. We all have our, we are the collective mm-hmm. understanding of sermons we've heard, things we've read, movies we've watched, and that's okay. Just don't f- be very wary of forming a hard and fast doctrine out of something without one verifying opinion. one person's opinion, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Of course, if you're going to form up a doctrine about anything, it's good to actually force yourself to listen to a different opinion Yeah. and go, okay, well, let me hear from contrary. What did they say? And challenge yourself a little bit.
1: Yeah. Like what we were saying before about the um, Matthew Henry's commentary and, yeah. and you know, all the different commentaries and you study Bibles and all that sort of thing. I bet you
0: learn from everybody. Don't
1: just, yeah. Don't just read one and go, yep, this is it. This is what yep. I believe now. Read a few and. And come up with your own.
0: Yep, for sure. Um,
1: so I do have one more.
0: One more from John twenty one. Go. Um, Luke verse
1: fifteen to seventeen
0: of John twenty one.
1: Yes, um, of John twenty one, it is the part in the middle that talks about. Oh uh, yes. How Jesus says, "Do you love me?" Yep. Um, three times. Yep. And his answer is three similar things. Yep. Uh, one is feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, all I've got here is one, why three times? And two, unravel this riddle, please.
0: Okay. Let me ask you why (laughs) three times? Three. Is he talking to?
1: Oh, Peter. You already answered this pretty much, didn't you?
0: Why? Tell me what I'm got to say. About
1: because he denied him three times. So is it a riddle too, Peter?
0: I think this is a threefold reinstatement, um, based on a threefold denial. I think most scholars would see that. It, to me, I'd be very surprised if that's not what John's intending. Mm-hmm. He, he, the fact that Jesus did it three times is to say, you might've denied me three times, I'm going to reinstate you three times. Oh, yeah. gives him three accounts to undo the three times that he denied. He knew him by saying, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. You know, I love you. Oh. So that's beautiful to me.
2: Oh, and, it's beautiful you
0: know, and Peter Jesus at the last Supper he actually says to Peter and he's praying I think it's in John's gospel he says Peter Satan has asked to sift you as wheat to so basically he's, he Satan has asked if he can have you if he can have you Pete but he says but take heart I've prayed for you mm-hmm. and after you turn back strengthen your brothers Peter and Peter in typical Pete the night he says I'm ready to die with you and that's when Jesus says no Pete, tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three yeah. times. So there's this sense in which Jesus, even knowing that Peter is going to deny him, is still praying and interceding for him and saying, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So I have that in mind when I read this. And I think this is a, uh, there is, I, I haven't got it fresh in my mind. I'd have to Google it. We're probably out of time to be able to spend too much time on it. Mm. The, the significance of the lambs and the sheep, That you're right. They are there. There is definitely um, meaning around feed, take care of lamb, sheep. There's like two yeah. the same, two words, the same and a three in each one. Okay. I can't recall what that is. So maybe our listeners can go and look at that. There is some, some good, that's a good homework tool for the listeners. Cool. Um, but I think it shows something of Jesus in stating, reinstating Peter for ministry. That a big part of this ministry is going to be feeding and taking care of sheep and lambs. Yeah those that can't help themselves. And to me, that's a call into pastoral ministry. Mm. Two main focuses are looking after sheep, feeding them.
1: Yeah, that's good. Caring for them. Cool. Yep. Well, that, that pretty much wraps it up really quickly. Yep. Um, so that's good. But again, if you want to know more about this, um, we encourage you. Yeah,
0: do your own research.
1: Do it. And, um, yeah, keep asking questions. So. Yep.
0: Ask questions for text. Okay. Where are we going now? Acts one?
1: No, Luke 24. We haven't done that yet.
0: Oh okay. Luke twenty four.
1: Okay, Luke twenty four. I've only got really one question because we've already kind of been been in there a bit already, already haven't we? Yeah, like I said before, they all kind of interconnect. So it's a bit
0: hard to put chapter markers in these four because we've they're all very similar on, yeah. and riffing off one back to the other.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think that's why I wanted to set this up a little different yeah. um, this time. So Luke 24 verse 45, he said, he opened their minds to help them understand the scriptures. Um, again, this is a quick one because we are going to talk a little more about the Holy Spirit in our mm. Holy Spirit um, podcast in.
0: Coming up. Uh, yeah,
1: coming up. Um so is that what he is talking about here? He opened their minds to help them understand the scriptures. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit and how we can this in the same way read the passages and understand them because the Holy Spirit is helping us to understand them? Or like I mean it sounds without the I should probably re- rephrase that. Without the Holy Spirit and our knowledge of that, it's hard to read that and go Oh yeah, that all makes sense. Or did he, is it just a nice way of explaining that he showed them the scriptures or relayed the scriptures and said, this is what it all means, guys. I see.
0: I don't know. It's a really good question. Um, John, this it's probably that we're trying to conflate different people's different gospel writers understanding. So all that stuff Mm -hmm. around the spirit being sent and reminding you of what had been taught. That's all John's gospel. Mm. So now we're in Luke's gospel. So mm-hmm. Luke, remember we talked about different accounts. Mm-hmm. So Luke could be doing something different here. So it's possible that when it says, then he opened the mind to understand the scriptures, mm-hmm. that that's saying the Holy Spirit did the opening of the mind, mm. which would make sense in light of what Jesus says in John's gospel. Mm-hmm. At face value, if you, if, you, if you remove John's gospel from it, there's not really a reference to the Holy Spirit. No, here. that's right. And it would read that Jesus is literally saying, look, just basically what he'd just done with it, just prior to this with Emmaus. He went on a seven mile Bible study with him, Right. starting in Moses and going all the way through the Tanakh, the, the, the Torah, the mm-hmm. the, um, the the law and the prophets the all and the Old Testament, or basically the whole Old Testament, and showing them the scriptures that are about him. I suspect that's what might be happening here. He's just, he's just going, Hey, look at this. Moses said that he would send another prophet. That's me. So, it's, cause he says. It actually says it here, beginning with Moses and the law and the prophets, everything that was written about him. So I suspect that, that Jesus led him on a Bible study. Mm. I reckon that's what happened. Jesus is, he is revealing himself to them in the Bible. These yeah. are the, these are the scriptures that would have helped Jesus come to a revelation of who he was. Yeah. And now he's saying, let me show you, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yeah. Does that that's, make sense? Yeah, it does. It's pretty cool. It would have been a, hey, it's a Bible study I'd love to be in. Yeah, I always say, I definitely. wish I was one of those two dudes walking along the road. We, all we get is Jesus led them on a seven mile Bible study, but man, I'll tell you what, it would have been a, an yeah. eye opening conversation. In fact, wouldn't it? they say when they, they
1: say about their spirits they being, say, like, oh,
0: well, yes. You <laughs> know, hearts burn It's like, yeah, wow, this is suddenly coming to life. So that's what the word of God does, mm. you know? And these are men who'd been st- stooped in the word of God. So. That's what I want for you as listeners is that you would get into the Bible and your heart would burn within you and you go, yes, this is so exciting. This is life giving to me.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. On that note, let's move on.
0: So we're going to.
1: Daniel 7, 8 and
0: 9. 7, 8 and 9 now.
1: I think it's important that we stay with Daniel 7, 8, and 9, even though they're all slightly different um, together.
0: Slightly less. They're all all slightly equally weird.
1: Yes. Very weird. Uh, Okay. Very, very weird. Buckle
0: your seatbelts, folks. Get ready for the next conversation because I'm certainly (laughs) no expert on Daniel 7, 8, and 9.
1: I mean, I think if, first of all, okay, before we dive into these, how should we first approach these passages? Um, I've written here, are we reading a Narnia type story? (laughs) I think I wrote that last night when I was getting a bit tired. I
0: might have mentioned that in my sermon the other day, actually saying that we we think these scriptures are strange. So I mentioned this in a sermon I was doing on Revelation and Daniel, another scripture from Daniel about the Son of Man and saying how we think that's weird. Um, The whole apocalyptic kind of weird um, supernatural kind of prophecy, writing weird visions and dreams and all that. And yeah, we think that's normal if we put it in a Narnia context. Mm-hmm. So we're okay with C.S. Lewis writing that stuff and then Disney turning into a movie or whatever. <laughs> and we're okay with that. Okay, that's, a, that's an allegory that talks about Jesus. Yeah. Most Christians, in case you didn't know, that's all, Jesus is all over, Narnia goes. But uh, Aslan, the lion is Jesus and the stories are all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're okay with that. The Jews of this time took it a step further. They didn't separate out C.S. Lewis' Narnia stories from their religious experience. That was a normal part of their religious experience. Mm-mm. So they saw it at a, uh, they were much more closely intertwined, their church going, if you like, I'm going to put it in our context, their church going with the Narnia stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, it is kind of like a Narnia experience. Yeah. Um, I've already pre-recorded with Jeff next week's message, but we talk about, I think in Daniel chapter two, three, and four, I think mm-hmm. ahead of this time when we talk about this too. What we need to know is that yes, these stories are weird, but these stories are pastoral. They're actually for the purpose of encouragement as Mm. as scary and as weird and as strange as these stories and these visions seem to our mindset, Mm -hmm. they're less, they they are weird and strange to them, but they were more accustomed to this style of, of literature and the prophetic voice being spoken through this stuff than we are. We just think it, we just think it's strange, but to them, it was more a normal part of their life. And it was written to encourage them in a dark time.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if we just first of all just start reading the first part of Daniel seven, eight, and nine separately. Sure. It it is pretty scary sounding stuff, but it is explained further down. Uh, Gabriel, the angel, yeah, explains it to him. Um, the f- I think the first time I read through, um, in, when doing this study, chapter seven. I was like, oh, who's this random dude that he's talking to? And
0: then later on it. You realize it's Gabriel. It's Gabriel.
1: Um, I mean, that's pretty cool first of all, but he's still scared. Daniel's still uh, not really. It's
0: the same Gabriel that Mm. appears to Mary and to, um, and to Elizabeth in the Christmas account, same Uh angel.
1: Is that significant? Oh, is it just because Gabriel's like,
0: I think Gabriel's, cool, Ga- Gabriel, Gabriel enemy. is a significant chief messenger. He, yeah. he appears in scriptures, in the scriptures. He's, he's delivering significant messages, which he's doing here and in the Christmas stories. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so I guess I have a couple of questions, but before I, I get you to do a, a bit of an overview of it all. Why would God give Daniel visions that made him sick and that no one could explain?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> like after uh, all the explanation, yes, right the, says. Right at the end of chapter eight. It, it says, says that he didn't That
1: was understand. the end of
0: my vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. Mm. I think.
1: God just come down and explain it in a. Well, I think. An, uh, sorry, not come down. I mean, like give him. A, <laughs> a, and not yeah. scary, not sick, yeah. not un, uh, a dream that made more sense.
0: Yeah. Like Okay, so let's put, you could take that scripture out of its context, and it seems like Daniel's saying he's feeling frightened by the vision. And remember, I just said the visions are supposed to be pastoral? Yeah. Uh-huh. I suspect when we look at it in its context, you're saying, why couldn't he have explained it? Well, the Gabriel, angel Gabriel has just explained it. To yeah, them. right. And if you read, it has actually explained that. The, all these kingdoms of the earth are going to be overthrown and defeated by God's righteous kingdom. Mm. Um, the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. Mm-hmm. His kingdom will last forever and all the rulers will serve and obey him. If It stopped at that at the end of verse 27. If mm-hmm. it stopped there, you'd think well, that was encouraging, but then it goes on and says in verse 28, I was overcome by this vision and I was scared. Yeah. So I think the scaredness and the, and the freaking out of the terror that he's feeling is not because of the, because he's not feeling encouraged about the future. It's because he's just sick of the fact that these kingdoms are going to be going at each other Mm. and it's, it's basically, it's going to take the overthrowing by God to put right the mess that humanity finds itself in. So I think what he's sick of here is the sickness of these kingdoms rising and fighting against each other and the worst of oppression of other human beings, the worst of the worst, beastly life of these kingdoms, the worst of humanity. That's what makes him sick. Yeah. Cool. I read it that way well, rather good, than being sick, explanation. sick in a fear way. It's, it's a sick in the, oh, I wish humanity wasn't like this. This is terrible, but it's that's pastoral because in the end, God's going to have his way.
1: Um, so. We've got, for though for our readers, uh, sorry, for our listeners, uh, Chapter 7 is very, it's talking about the Messiah's coming. Uh, chapter 9 is talking about the Messiah again. But Chapter 8 seems to be talking about the end of days. Uh, that's the kind of, as we're reading it, it kind of gives that, oh, that impression. Anyway. Gives you that impression. So, which is, a, I guess, the reason why I'm saying this is it's a lead-in to how do we tackle this? What's the easiest way to go through and explain what these visions mean? And yeah. Um, yeah, go for it.
0: I think with Daniel's visions and some of these other apocalyptic visions, put, first of all, look at them in their context. So if you can understand a little bit about the historical context, then you might be able to get some perspective on what, uh, these prophecies are supposed to be. So this is writing to a people in exile who are, uh, overcome and overthrown by foreign kingdoms. So that's, uh, where's this dream that God's kingdom would rule and righteousness would rule on the earth? All we see around us is is killing and pillaging and the worst of humanity's kingdoms. So I think that's a good historical context for which God is speaking into it. And then I literally think the best way to do it is to just read them and try to find the encouragement, first and foremost. Try to find the point before you get weighed down in who's who and what represents what and what beast is this and what beast is that. That's there. But first of all, what is the purpose? The purpose is encouragement. So I'm going to go straight to the encouragement, which is verse 27 thereabouts. Once I go, okay, this is a picture of God's kingdom prevailing in Daniel 7. I can then go back and start to unpack and consider some of the meanings of some of those texts. Now, when we do, there are various different schools of thought, and this applies to all of Daniel's prophecies, not just the seven, eight, and nine ones. Mm. Um, I did put some notes up because I I never remember all their names. Let me find it. Um, on on the different schools of thought around how to interpret this kind of uh, this kind of prophecy. There are. I'm just waiting for it to load. Go back. So there are a variety of different views. the uh, The historicist interpretation is. Let me go to Daniel uh, Daniel six for instance. The uh, we Actually, I've done it on Daniel 8, um, but it'll apply anyway. The historicist interpretation views the vision as a prophecy that foretells events that have already previously taken place in our history. According to this view, uh, there's, you know, all these beasts represent different kingdoms. So in Daniel chapter seven, we, we see these beasts, four beasts in Daniel seven's vision, and they represent, usually they represent the Medes and the Persians, which was the current kingdom that was, that was around at the time Daniel was writing this. Uh, the Greek empire, which would rise, and then scholars will say there's the Greek empire split into different kingdoms after Alexander the Great, and then maybe the Roman empire. So they see that as events that have taken place in the past. That's the historic interpretation. There's a futurist interpretation, which views the events as still in the future, that there is this is end time stuff. This is stuff that hasn't happened even in the 21st century. We're waiting for it in the future and so then they what they often try to do then in that view is they try to establish these visions and these beasts to represent future kingdoms and then you end up with people reading the bible and trying to match it with the newspaper and go that that's iran and that's russia and all of that people have been doing that for two thousand years whether or not it's right or wrong um people have been doing it for two thousand years that should tell us something so i'm not saying it isn't that i'm just saying we can get very quickly down the rabbit hole yeah. Of a, of a futurist interpretation. Yeah.
1: And that, I guess that, um, that seems to be something that is quite common once you start studying. I, I know yeah. my, myself, yes. I went in, down a rabbit hole and it yep. became a little, um, I was really, uh, it took over a lot of my time and my study. That's actually a really good way I got really obsessed mm. with looking at Revelation and trying to understand it and interpret it. and. You know, it, yeah. I had to put it down. I yeah. haven't actually picked up, uh, okay. gone, well, gone back there in depth anyway, right. since.
0: So I don't want to say that that's not the case. I, I also, I went to Bible college and I learned about a futurist interpretation and the traditional left behind books, which sold, you know, tens of millions of copies, one of the best selling, biggest selling Christian fiction series of all time. I loved it. I I still enjoy reading left behind, even though I probably left behind, left behind. (laughs) So I left, left behind, behind is probably the way to put it. I don't necessarily hold it like, uh,
1: book number six. Oh, you're
0: halfway there. Yeah. So, you know, it's good good fiction. And I always say, I think these days I say I left, left, left behind, behind. Mm. Uh, I don't necessarily hold to that theology anymore, but I did for many years and there is good evidence for it in scripture. I just don't think it's prevailing and I think it can potentially be. Um, a rabbit hole, but, um, but I may be wrong. I might find that in the time I was right in the past and I'm not now. Um, so that's kind of like that futurist interpretation, whether it's revelation or this Daniel seven, we'll get to in a minute, which is a big part of, of that. Um, Mm. all these visions are a big part of that whole theology, that, that theological view of the futurist interpretation. Yeah. Um, and. There is some truth in that, but I think what you said, it became obsessive. I think what happens is we become, we want to order the world. Mm. So we need to feel like we're in control. And if we can explain the bad things in this world, mm. then we feel like we have a, a degree of control back. Yeah. Well, that's what these guys were feeling. They were out of control. They were in exile. They were being ruled by an oppressive foreign power. They felt out of control if anyone ever did. mm mm-hmm. And I think the purpose of the message of these prophecies is not so that they can map out a timeline, it's that they can know that those kingdoms that are coming are actually out of their control, but they're not out of the control of their God and their God has control. And so you don't need to worry about trying to figure it all out. It's going to be okay because I hold the one who holds the kingdoms of this world. And I think that's the encouragement that God wants them to have. So that's the, the futurist mentality. Another one I've got here is the Preterist interpretation. This view sees the vision as a prophecy that was fulfilled in the past, specifically during the first century AD. So um, there's prophecies in this period of time that have to do with the fall of Jerusalem in seven following Jesus' time. So they link it t- kind of to the period of the internet testamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They link it in there. Um, there was a guy called Antiochus, a Seleucid king, Seleucid king um, who, uh, sacrificed a pig on the altar and it triggered a revolt because that was the last thing you do to a Jew is come into a Jewish temple and sacrifice a pig on the altar. It was like the ultimate blasphemy. And that, fit, that triggered a, um, a revolt by the Maccabees, um, it actually led to a period of independence, Jewish independence from foreign rule for about 120, I think, years, um, before they were obviously defeated by the Romans, taken over by the Romans. But they actually had a period of independence because of this horrible abomination mm. that they spoke about. Um, and then this, the last view is a symbolic interpretation, which kind of just doesn't want to attach it to any dates or times or events at all. Just go, oh, it's just all symbolic. I don't, I'm not comfortable with purely a symbolic interpretation of this because it seems to me that angel Gabriel specifically links in Daniel six, where we are mm. Daniel, where are we? Are? Seven, Daniel six. 7, 8, 9. So Daniel, Dan, in these, he distinctly links it to certain kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and all that. So I think that it's more than symbolic, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's good to still hold a symbolic component because what that otherwise, if it's just the Medes and it's just the Persians and there's just just the Greeks, we can easily go, it's got nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. And yet remember the Greeks and the Persians and the Medes, they're symbolic of the worst of humanity, humans left to their own rule. We're living in a day when humans are left to their own rule. Yeah. And so the social problems that occur when a society says, I don't need God in my world, I'll have the kingdom's values, but I don't want the king with it, that creates a mess. So I think we should hold to it. We should see the symbolism in this and it should speak to us in the modern day. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm a kind of like a a bit more of eclectic, I'll, I'll take a bit of everything well, of all of these views. That's
1: what I said before, isn't it? Is it possible that it could be all, I, all of these? I think things?
0: it is. I think, yeah, I think we can sort of take them all to heart.
2: You
1: yeah. know, there's parts of it that are literal, um, like the, the years and the numbers and all that sort of thing. And then there's parts that are symbolic yep. to us, Yep. but not symbolic to them. No. They were living in They that were living in it. Yep. They were under oppression. Yep. Um, so it made sense to everything, uh, to everyone, so, to and them. It should yeah. to them. Yep, I think um, so. So this, which I guess uh, y- you've kind of answered my next question, really, which was, if that's the case, why is it important that we read these passages? Yeah,
0: I think w- because that's p- they
1: really are, they really do apply to them. But
0: but they're written for us. They're
1: written for us. Yes. Yeah.
0: Because this is a picture of humanity, mm. and we can learn from God. God has chosen to use the history and times of a nation on the other side of the world, 2000 plus to 3000 years ago to tell his story. And if God is telling his story through these people, we should be listening. Yeah. And so we can that, what learn. Were they were the chosen people. That's, yeah. To, to be, to represent God to the earth and God, and the earth to God. And we learn through this, that so God is using the frailty of human nature. The fact that they wandered away from God, the fact that God still encouraged them. We can learn a lot about how God relates to us by looking at how he relates to his people in this time, yeah, yeah, don't dismiss them. Just don't, don't a, end up in a rabbit hole. Don't be afraid of them, but see that there's an overarching encouragement that's supposed to come, which should encourage us because let's face it, we face some beasts in our world, you know? Mm. Uh, so it should be an encouragement to us as well.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think, um, when I first was started my study of these chapters for for preparing for this podcast. I kind of looked at it all. I went, where do I start? Yeah. This could, this could take hours. We
0: could end up way down a rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, we you know, we've
1: already gone way over time, yeah. um, of what we're meant yeah. to do, but it's, you know, this could take a long time. Oh, look, entire so people have built
0: things- their Christian career out of trying to interpret Daniel 9, for instance, when we get there and they're getting very, very dogmatic about it. And very, very hard and fast. Um, and you know, so the, you know, they there's, People write their theses and they do their PhDs on this stuff. So there's not saying don't do it. I'm just saying for most of us, that's no, not where we're going to live.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why we landed on for this podcast and this conversation that we would, that we would highlight God's love yes, for us yes. and Jesus in this yes. and why, why we're reading it is because It all points to Jesus.
0: It all points to him and and his provision, his protection, and that he holds the, he holds the kingdoms of this world in his hand and he will, his, in the end, and Daniel's visions are all about that. Whether it's Daniel 4's vision, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, the prevailing message is in different ways of different kinds of weird visions. The end result is the kingdom of heaven prevails over all the kingdoms of this earth. Yeah. That's that's the prevailing message.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you were expecting us to go line by line, no. and explain it and decipher. Yeah, when, we get to,
0: when we get to Daniel nine in a moment, I might just spend a bit of time on Daniel nine we'll, uh, when we get there just to, uh, show you some of, I think it's probably worth, without going down a rabbit hole, it's probably worth spending a bit of time just showing you how to, how, how, maybe how it has been interpreted in in some sense. Is there anything in Daniel eight that you wanted to ask while we move into that?
1: Uh, well I kind of already covered yeah, it? Yeah, okay. yeah, we kind of already covered it. Um oh. we've we we did have a well, we actually had a bit of a discussion before we started recording and we wished we'd
2: press record yes, yeah.
1: talking and yes. we've kind of just wrapped it up yeah. all in in this. So that's that's been um certainly insightful yeah. and encouraging and I hope it's been yeah. encouraging to our listeners as well. Well let me let me go
0: to Daniel nine then. Okay, so Daniel nine, it kind of does. If we want to take the futurist view, in fact, even if we don't take the futurist view, there seems to be some fairly solid dates. If you're going to have any sense of dates and timing of God's plan, this is a place where you'll find it in in Daniel nine, man, because it follows on from seven and eight and these these kingdoms arising and falling and so on, and this this prophecy of God's future kingdom. And so the Daniel Daniel nine has a famous prophecy and probably one of the most famous prophecies in the Old Testament actually, um, called the 70 weeks prophecy. And in this 70 weeks prophecy, uh, it's, it's, it's basically is, it's, it appears to be some kind of timeline. Mm. I'm going to do this from the top of my head. I'm not going to do this from my mm-hmm. notes. Okay. Um, and it depends on the version you have. Some versions say 70 weeks uh, the NLT in front of me here says 70 sets of seven mm. most scholars believe that a week here is not a week of seven days. It's a week of seven years. Mm-hmm. So 70 periods of seven years. Well, 70 times seven is 490. Mm-hmm. And so the view, which does make a lot of sense to me, um, even, even though I'm not a futurist in that same sense anymore, I still have to wrestle with the logic of this. In essence, it says that there is is four. it says, uh, Gabriel comes to, to Daniel and says, Hey Dan. There are 70 sets of seven years accrued for you and your people and the the city of Jerusalem, basically. Because remember he's in exile. It seems like he's away from God's plan and God's gone. I'm not finished with Jerusalem. I'm not finished with God's people yet. 70 sets of seven. And so he says, uh, let me just get a verse so I get it right. Verse 24 of Daniel 9 says, a period of 70 sets of seven has been declared for your people your holy city. And in the end, this is what's going to happen. Finish rebellion, turn people back to God, put an end to their sin, atone for guilt and bring in everlasting righteousness. Confirm Mm -hmm. prophetic vision and anoint the most holy place. That all sounds pretty cool. Like to people who've got the opposite of all of those, Mm -hmm. it's a promise saying there's going to come a time when all those things are going to be, all those wrongs are going to be righted. Now listen and understand, he says, seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven we will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the Mashiach, the anointed one comes. 62 lots of seven happens to be 480, sorry, 69 lots of seven, seven and 62 makes 69 happens to be 483 years. So this 483 years is saying it's happening from the time of the command to rebuild Jerusalem until the rising of Messiah. It's going to be 483 years. There are scholars out there who say that they can date the time when Cyrus, King Cyrus told them to rebuild Jerusalem. And they say 483 years later, Jesus, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus that's walks pretty in. pretty cool. If that's, if that's the way it is, that's the way I was raised, it is pretty cool.
1: It, it's a, well, it's amazing. Uh, well, my, one of my questions was this 483 years or approximately 490 years. It's a very similar number to the, the silent years. Yep. Is there any sort of connection there?
0: It, it it could be, there could be a link actually to the silent years. Um, which is approximately 400. Oh, 400-ish years. Yeah, thereabouts. Um, so what those that don't know, the silent years is what we call the, the intertestamental period. It's the time between Malachi, which is probably the last book written mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, and the coming of Jesus. There's a period there where we don't have any prophetic writings. They call it the silent years because there's no voice from prophets that's, uh, you don't have any prophets speaking. There's no recorded evidence of prophets speaking. And so they they came to call it the silent years. It was silent and there was no prophets. It was certainly not silent historically. In fact, it was incredibly tumultuous. Yeah. All this Daniel stuff, kingdoms rising. Yeah,
2: this is there was
0: the Medes and tonight. the Persians yeah. and, and the Greeks and then the Seleucids and the Ptolemies and then the Romans. And it's like a mm. massive tumultuous time in this 400 year period. So a lot happens in this period of time, even though. God's voice is silent. And I actually have a feeling that God was working in the world to prepare the world for the Messiah, because there's a lot of things that happened in that time that wouldn't, Jesus, simple one is had the Roman empire not come to power Mm -hmm. and instituted their Roman roads and brought unity across an empire that made travel safe, Mm -hmm. relatively safe, that made it easy to cross borders because it was all part of the same empire, 400 years before. Had a bunch of dudes decided to go and try and preach about the Messiah, they would not have got very far. 400 years later, we have a Roman empire for all its faults, not perfect, but enabled travel. So the, the word was able to get forward and, and go into all the world. Yeah. So God was using a silent time to promote a time when the gospel, so that at the time it says in, uh, he, God
1: all, works all things. Good all things. Right? In fact, it
0: says in Hebrews, I think it is, at just the right time God sent His Son. It was just the right time because 400 years before wasn't just the right time. Mm. So maybe that's part of this silent years, and mm-hmm. God, in, in His way, has set aside this this pattern of sevens, yeah, um, in time for that. I don't know if it's totally linked, but there's definitely this. They they happen to overlap at least.
1: Yeah. Well. And so yeah. Very. It seems time. very
0: close time. Yeah. Yeah. And what's noticeable about this prophecy is that you have this period, the rising of the presenting of the Messiah, mm-hmm. and that seems to be Palm Sunday. Jesus presents himself as the anointed King. Verse 26 says, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to accomplish nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Well, that seems to be pretty much a picture of Jesus. Killed afterwards, cut off, other versions say. At the end of the 69th week, cut off.
1: And no one to defend him.
0: No one to defend. There's all this stuff, right?
1: Yeah. And there's
0: another ruler arising who will now destroy the city and the temple. Well, that did happen.
1: Mm -hmm. 30
0: years after Jesus, thereabouts, 40 years after Jesus in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem was sacked and the Romans did do that. So there seems to be a sense, but how many original sets of seven were there? 70. We've only talked about 69 of them so far. So the futurist view says there's still a set of seven years, which is yet to be fulfilled. The 70th year hasn't, the 70th week hasn't yet started.
1: And this is where this is the where the
0: whole great tribulation yeah. and times left behind theology comes in and the antichrist will come. Cause it actually goes on and says, he now it talks in verse 27 about the 70th week. It says the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, one seven year treaty. But after half of that time, three and a half years, he'll put an end to sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Okay. So Mm -hmm. this is interesting because Jesus refers to this. So a a purely past view says, oh, this was Antiochus Epiphanes who did this in about 180 BC, Mm. but Jesus talking about future events. He also says something about it in, I think it's probably Luke 20 something uh, where where he talks about, he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, quoting here, when you see the sacrilegious object, don't go inside, don't get your coat, head for the hills. So Jesus seems to be indicating a future event that will happen to the temple. And the question is, is that event, the sacking of the temple, by Emperor Titus in 70 AD, or is it something yet to happen in the future Mm. by the Antichrist?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I reckon it could be all of them.
1: could be both.
0: It could be both. It could even, I I think the way we read the read Testament, Mm. this is a good thing about prophecy, we tend to read it very chronologically. And this does seem to be quite chronologically, but the Jews, they tended to think cyclically, not chronologically. So Mm -hmm. they would often think about patterns repeating themselves yeah, all the way through. So something would happen in one timeline in one point in time, but it, that pattern would re- be repeated in another timeline. Mm. So I think if you view it that way, um, it can be a healthy way to look at scripture.
1: Well, you're right when you say that, I think, because. Every story in the Bible, we can read and get something out of it for us at this time yep. right now. Yep, that's it. We can, we can read a passage and understand it, and and then in three years' time, I can read the next. And, Good. Yeah, it, yeah. Do you get where I'm going I with this? I totally like, do. So that's a healthy
0: way to read the Bible. That's
1: the whole point of reading the Bible and reading it again. We don't just read it like a novel and put it down and go, okay, I've read that. Yep. we. We have it written on our heart.
0: It's written. It's transferred into our heart. Of yeah, it. And, and therefore it comes to life in us and speaks to us in different ways at different times yeah. for different purposes. And I think, on, like
1: like what we said before, there's no way that any man could have written the Word of God. No, it was written. It was Spirit breathed. Yep. So we have to realize that when He says something here, He can mean it in many different Hick. ways. Yes. Um. Healthy. He's, God doesn't live in our timeline he has he's above all of that right
0: i agree yep amen amen good way to look at it all right we're nearly there nearly there Act Acts one. One.
1: So Acts 1, Acts 1, wrapping up this week, um, I think we should go through it and read it together. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, not it's, it's pretty either. short, no. but it's in um, most Bibles. It's in three different sections. So let's read the first. Mm-hmm. Um, so the introduction uh, and then the ascension and then um, the upper room. Sure. Um, okay. So first, the first account I made. Theophilus uh-huh. was a continuous report about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he ascended to heaven. After he had had by the Holy Spirit given instruction to the apostles, special messengers whom he had chosen. To these men, he, men, can we pause there? To these men, it's in brackets, men. To these, he also showed himself alive. Should it be women as well?
0: to these men. He showed himself a lot, is that what it says?
1: Yeah. In the amplified version, should it be women? Because we know that he first showed to women or did it
0: mean men? I think the context is he's talking specifically about those apostles.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. So who
0: happened to be men. Yeah. Right. Um, but yes, we know he appeared to women. Mm. He appeared to over 500 at one time, which clearly had women in among it. So, and the first ones were women. Yeah. Um, I
1: think that just jumped out at me because we said that the first, yeah, the first thing before the first, um,
0: yeah, you're reading from the episode. I think in its yeah. context here it's Luke is specifically talking about appearing to the apostles. Yeah,
1: cool.
2: Okay. Which
0: were men, but yeah, yeah, in cool. This anyway, they were. Yeah, awesome. not all apostles. There were apostles later on that were women, but
1: all this, the feminists listening.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's got, there are definitely apostles in. There are definitely reference to apostles in the New Testament, uh in Romans 16, who were women. But yeah. this one, yeah, this particular at this stage, thing, they're men. Yeah,
1: and it could be. I think we've talked about this before in church that men can, means uh, human yeah, yeah. humans sometimes. Yeah.
0: Um, but well, I think yeah. in this context, yeah, this he's context. talking about his twelve apostles. or well, Yeah, because Judas is dead.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay cool so to these uh to these he also showed himself alive after his suffering in gethsemane and on the cross by a series of many infallible proofs and unquestionable demonstrations appearing to them over a period of 40 days is that 40 days um reference and talking to them about the things concerning the kingdom of god while being together and eating with them he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the father had promised of which he said, you have heard me speak for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs, which the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and or Samaria, <laughs> um, tomato, tomato, and even to the ends of the earth. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, we could, again, we could spend a lot of time on this part, but let's just, I think we should just pick out, um, the, the important parts about the Holy Spirit here, mm-hmm. um, and the Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? They're still stuck on this here. They're still
0: stuck on this. Yeah. yeah. So we're dealing with two questions, the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So the... yeah let's okay. out
1: Let's highlight the Holy Spirit parts in this. Um, he's already talking about the Holy Spirit, even though he hasn't, uh, they haven't actually had that baptism of fire experience yep. just yet. Um, and also the, I guess we could touch on the baptism part, but we're, we've we established that we're going to talk more about that yep. um, in a couple of episodes. Uh, but yes, and then the second question would be, uh, why are they still stuck on okay, this? Sure. When is this, again, a chronological thing, or is this because they really need that? encouragement that does that make sense what i'm yep. saying
0: so which so can you give me a give can you phrase up question one in a way that make that i can get my head around i can get i think i can get question two i just can't quite get what you want to ask me about question one holy
3: st-
1: uh, okay so there's so many questions i guess it's just trying to wrap it all up in one um time wise when is this happening? And is he explaining it after the baptisms, baptism of the Holy Spirit later? Is that why he makes so many references to the Holy Spirit? Um, or do they have a solid understanding of what, what
0: is No, uh, I don't think, they don't, I don't do they. think they do. I, I think they probably have some kind of embryonic understanding of mm-hmm. that. There's something they're awaiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus has made it clear. You're not ready to go yet. Um, Once, when he was eating, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father that I told you about. So he has told them about it, but I, I don't know if they even know what to expect. Yeah, right. I suspect that what's happening is they don't know what to expect. Suspect, but Jesus says, "You'll know when you know." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think that's the point. there's something going to happen that's going to be so tangible to them. Mm. What what I tend to find most intriguing out of this passage is that they they're talking with the resurrected Jesus. If ever there was a reason to go, come on, I'm ready to go and tell everybody. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that I'm having a meal with the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, right. And Jesus seems to be saying, even that isn't enough. Yeah. You need the spirit on the inside of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. ahead and, uh, you know, your testimony, you can go and convince people that you've seen it, still not going to believe it or whatever, or maybe mm-hmm. you're going to doubt it yourself. But if you get the spirit on the inside of you, it'll be very different. Mm-hmm. So this is happening at some stage. In that 40 days, mm-hmm. um, we don't know exactly when, you just know it was once when he was eating with him. sometime in that stage, it could have yeah. been, let's assume, let's assume it's pretty much right before he goes back to heaven, he's going, <laughs> don't go anywhere. So it's at least 10 days. Let's put it that way. It's at least 10 days, if yeah. not more, somewhere between 50 days and 10 days after the, uh, before the, before the Holy Spirit, before Pentecost Sunday. Yes. So it's in this okay. period of time that we find ourselves in now, actually. Yeah. It's Pentecost, right. this, this, Pente- this Holy Spirit period. Yeah. Somewhere in this period of time, we find ourselves, that's where they're at. In okay. waiting. Yeah. And they're witnessing Jesus. They're having the meals with him. we be be talking about it and he's saying to them, you need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Wait in Jerusalem.
1: So I guess that's important because if they, he hadn't preempted that, he probably They probably wouldn't have really understood what was happening even more so later on.
0: No. And I I suspect that they probably thought if the story goes on, hey, which kind of segues into question two, Mm, is this the time? Yeah. I reckon, imagine if these disciples still think that this is about a military kingdom. This is still about Jesus coming and restoring peace through overthrowing the Romans and kicking them out. Yeah. Which seems to be what they still get. And I don't blame them for that. It's easy to mock them for that, but no, they've lived under Roman not. oppression for a long time Yeah, and they've had all these prophecies about being the head and not the tail and being above and not beneath, and that God would establish his peace through the, through the kingdom yeah. of Israel.
2: Yeah,
0: And so they're assuming that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, And
0: I wonder if they had been sent out with that attitude, I suspect it would have been very different kind of gospel message. It would yeah. have been, hey, good news, we're at, we're, let's start a rebellion against the Romans.
1: Yeah, well, they're still they're still under the oppression of the Romans. They're still under the Even oppression also, of the so they've been in hiding, right?
0: Yes, yeah, they're that's just, right. They're
1: all hiding out because yeah. they are known as Jesus's followers. Yep. Jesus's body is missing. Yep, they're you know they're all they're freaking wanted, out, right? Wanted
0: men to some degree, yeah. They're wanted men, yeah, exactly. And
1: so they know that they're still under this oppression, and all of a sudden they see this resurrected Jesus. Yeah. So I guess. It makes sense that they were asking that question because he, they, sorry, they are seeing this resurrected body. Like, I mean, imagine if we saw a resurrected body now, right? We would think, wow, this is amazing. This must, this guy must be invincible. Yeah. It makes sense that the invincible would be the one to To kick kick out the Romans, right?
0: Exactly. Kick out the Romans. Exactly.
1: So it makes sense that they would ask that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not.
0: And Jesus says, Hey, it's nothing to do with that. Mm. You're actually missing the point, gents. It's not about that. Yeah. It's actually different. He actually, you know, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Mm -hmm. And he replies, that's up to the father. It's the father alone's authority Mm. that they would know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you Mm -hmm. and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. So he's basically saying, get on with the job. Yep. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Get the Holy Spirit and get on with the job of telling people the good news. That's mm-hmm. pretty much how we sum up Acts one. Actually, yeah, that's the point of it. You got one more bit you wanted to read. Uh,
1: the ascension and the upper room. So uh, the ascension we've really talked about already, haven't we? He's, yep,
0: you did. Talk you know, about. yeah.
1: So he was uh, two men in white clothing yep. suddenly stood beside them who said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? Um, this same Jesus who has taken has been taken from you." Into heaven will return in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven, which is pretty cool. We're already talking about you know future events, yep, yep. Um, but I guess we don't really need to talk more about that. It's more the upper room. So then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Ol- Olivet.
0: Olive, olives, olive, Mount of Olives. Yeah, yeah, olive grove, which is uh, literally just on the other side of the mountain. It's, it's yeah, really.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which is near Jerusalem, only a Sabbath day journey less than one mile away. Yep. When they had entered the city, they went upstairs to the upper room where they were staying indefinitely. That is Peter and John his bro- and his brother, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh-huh. Alphaeus, yep, um, and <laughs> Simon the Zealot. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you what um, Kenny and I thought. Zealot might mean um <laughs> sounds. That's, don't you reckon it sounds like you know Simon? The it's like saying Simon, the, the not very nice person. But well, I mean, when you look at the meaning of what a zealot is, it's you know, it, it doesn't really say that. But just the way
0: it says, you it, know, the zealots were a political part. They were a political terrorist group. Yeah, they were. They, these were the guys who were trying to run the Romans out of town. Yeah, doing like guerrilla terrorism
1: Mm, so it's just interesting the way it's yeah describes it anyway sorry i'll keep going and judas the deus and the son of james all these with one mind and one purpose were continually devoting themselves to prayer waiting together along with the women and the mary and mary the mother of jesus and with his brothers now on one of these days peter stood up among the brothers and sisters a gathering of about 120 believers was there and he said brothers and sisters it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled which the holy spirit there's that holy spirit reference again foretold by the lips of david king of israel about judas iscario who acted as guide to those who arrested jesus for he judas was counted among us and received his share by divine allotment in this ministry Sounds like he's having a go. Like he, 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 he's having a go at
0: Judas. You know, he's, yeah. he's pretty heavy on he's pretty down on Judas. Yeah, yeah, so
1: now Judas Iscario acquired a piece of land indirectly with the money paid him as a reward for his treachery and falling headlong, his body burst open in the middle.
0: <laughs> Spilling his intestines. Oh, don't you love the Bible for being uh, full of
1: I love of... it. I love it. It's it's great. It's the um it's the, the
0: John party. Wick of the New Testament. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. And all his intestines poured out. Really? <laughs> the people in Jerusalem learned about this, so in their own dialect Aramaic. Achuldama. They called the piece of land Hokuldama, that is field of blood, for in the oh gosh, <laughs> For in the book of Psalms it is written, "Let this place of residence become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and again, let another take his position as overseer. Um, so last part, so of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus spent with us, beginning with the baptism by John at the outset of Jesus's ministry until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a witness with us to testify of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph, the one called Basabas, who was surnamed Just- Justice, mm-hmm. and Matthias. They prayed and said, you, Lord, who know all hearts, their thoughts, motives, and desires, show us which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship, which Judas left to go to his own place of evil. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, the biggest thing I wanted to point out on this,
0: I know where you're going with this.
1: Yeah, is they've got these two guys and they literally like scissor, paper, rock. There, they are you know, paper like
0: paper, rocking I
2: mean,
1: the, the casting lots is, is similar, yeah. similar kind of game, yeah. right? Yeah, like hey, let's let's leave it to.
0: Let's have the you know the the drawing straws is another oh, analogy yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Draws, yeah, really. yeah, straw, straw, all that analogy that we have for it.
1: The so casting lots is actually like a game that they. Well, right? I,
0: th- I think you were saying it's like rocks that they yeah. ground and, and have their names on it. Yeah. And that's, that's the case. That's probably the case. I was saying it might've been ostraca, but that's a different way that they, they would draw, um, attention. And, mm. and this is not a, this is not an uncommon religious practice, not just in this time, but for all, all religions, mm. um, they saw that somehow something natural like that was God would speak to them. So in the old Testament, um, there were, the priest had two dice. It was basically like dice, a Urim and a Thummim. And that's how they would inquire of God. So you'll often see it written this way. You'll see David inquire of the Lord, shall I go up from here? And it says, yes. The Lord replied, yes, you shall go up. Will they hand me over if I go up? The Lord says, yes, they'll hand it. It's worded with yes, no answers because yep. the priest's answer is, is rolling dice, right? Yep. But they believed, whatever they believed, they believed that the rolling of the dice was um, up on. Let's pause it just for a minute. Just let them know we'll be over in 30 seconds.
1: Hey guys, we'll be over in 30 seconds. He'll We're he'll just done. wrapping up this podcast. Um, we'll edit that bit out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the, the, the concept was they were rolling dice mm-hmm. and the rolling of the dice was a normal practice where they believed God, the God or gods would speak to them through that rolling of dice. So that's a standard biblical practice. These, this is all these guys have known. So mm-hmm. they go, well, this is how we hear from God. What's should
1: we, um, when I'm, I'm a really indecisive person,
0: you, should, so you should you roll I, dice? Yeah, I just
1: roll dice and go, get God
0: just tell me the answer? Well, the answer I would say to that is no. Because this is the last time you see this happening. Ooh. What happens next <laughs> is they're filled with the Spirit.
1: Yeah. Right. And the
0: next time we see in Acts 15, where they have to <laughs> make a decision, it's a whole bunch of them getting together and talking about it and praying together. And it says, now it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So th- the way of discerning God's will is directly linked to the baptism in the Spirit, the now that the Spirit is on the inside of us. I can hear from the Lord Mm. and collective wisdom from others. I can hear from the Lord. We, it's not just, I have to go to the priest to get it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to come to the pastor because Pastor Rowan will have your answers. It's not mm. that's not anymore how the Holy Spirit works. It's now good. Christ is in us together corporately and individually. We can hear from the Lord, and so yeah. there never there never any is. There's no more scissor, paper, rock after this. Yeah, so good. I think that's significant.
1: Yeah, it is. It is definitely significant. Yeah, um, and it's exciting to hear you say stuff like that because it's not just for you or for me or you know for whoever's. It's for everyone listening.
0: Yes, correct. That's for sure. You can all hear from the Lord.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually a perfect introduction to to our Holy, Holy
0: Spirit, Spirit. We're gonna to have to make sure we put the Holy Spirit on on this week cause...
1: I know, I know. Now that we've said this, yeah. we really should. So, yeah, um, happens. yeah, I think we'll make that happen. But thank you again for for all of your insight um, into uh, all of these pleasure. chapters.
0: Thanks for like I said, with there's so
1: good. many more questions that we could ask, but we encourage you. Please keep asking questions. Keep talking about it in your connect groups and in and, and with your friends and after church and
0: on Facebook. Uh, and on Facebook,
1: yeah. and uh, we've said before that we wanted to uh, put like a little questions box on our website. Yep. Um, so as we start putting these podcasts out, if you've got more questions, pop it in. I, mean, um, I think it'd be yeah, really important that we keep having these. Yeah, for
0: sure. Excellent. Thanks for being with us. And thank you, Amanda. No, thank you. Good questions. it's a pleasure. thanks,
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Talk to you next week.